Jamie O'Hara was up uh, in Templemore during the week for the swearing-in of uh, new members of Angarda Shikana and he was talking about uh, the assignment of the Gardaí then around the country. It's a story that was uh, also picked up by the Echo where they say, we got one guard. There were 115 new Gardaí assigned to Dublin alone last week uh, and only one assigned to Cork City. It's absolutely atrocious, isn't it? I'm not saying that other parts of the country don't deserve it nor need them, but 115 to Dublin and one to the second city makes absolutely no sense to me. There's another story, few stories actually, regarding the Garda Shikona on the front pages today. The Independent leads with the fact that the Garda will finally get powers to detain drivers for drug testing. And there was me thinking they could do it all along. How come we were getting reports and stats of people being uh, caught for drug driving? But apparently new powers for the Garda will allow suspected drug driving motorists to be detained while officers wait for a drug test result. So that's going before Cabinet. It's the front of the Independence Day. And another Garda story. It must be very frustrating for unguarded Shikona sometimes to be able to get about doing their business. Like what was going up on up in Galway with migrants coming in, International Protection Order migrants coming in to an hotel in the Galway area. This is the Ross Lake Hotel in Ross Cahill. Um, it was burnt down um, by ars- at least one arsonist but apparently the guards were never told never got any notification whatsoever from the government that a disused hotel in Galway had been designated for a centre for asylum seekers um, and they lost the opportunity to increase safety around it they never knew Nobody told them. Uh, and that's the front page of making the Irish Times. So imagine how the guards would feel because an awful lot of local residents, whether it's Galway or indeed whether it's in Formoy, uh, are very annoyed with many different things. But amongst them, nobody tells them anything. The community is never informed about what's happening or what's changing uh, or what is about to uh, you know, come down the track, whether it's uh, asylum seekers, Ukrainian war refugees or international protection order issues. People are kept in the dark and it always almost feels as if it's intentional. Uh, before the course, there's been a court case on Leeside for the past couple of weeks. It was the father and son who were accused of throwing a student living in their property onto the streets in his underpants. Uh, I've had the case against them dismissed. Now, it's in all the court reports today. Olivia Kelleher carries the story in the, May, in the, in the Daily Star today. It was before Judge Marion O'Leary who said that a person is absolutely allowed to use proportionate force to remove trespassers from their property. Uh, but she uh, found Daniel and Donald Lynch were entitled to use uh, proportionate force against trespassers who just hadn't paid any rent. Now, it's, uh, it's slightly complicated in that regard because it's it's a claim and a counterclaim really it's alleged it was alleged and the been found not guilty that well actually had the charges dismissed it, that, that, that something was alleged to have occurred in nursery view in the Glasheen Road in August of last year um, the landlords had vehemently denied the charge um, uh, the defence solicitor Joe Cudigan claimed that the students staying in the house were milking the situation and were freeloading um, hadn't been paying their rent but the students insisted that they were willing to pay that there was a misunderstanding One of them said he was pulled out of bed by the men by his ankles wearing nothing but his jocks. Uh, but it went. It was claim and counterclaim. Uh, the counterclaim to that was that um, uh, one of the one of the the father and sons were, were one of the two of them were were kicked in the chest apparently, which led to the father and son physically ejecting the student from 
the actual house and the judge made a call on it yesterday saying a person is allowed to use proportionate force to remove trespassers from their property. What are you supposed to do? Uh, I mean, what is, people aren't paying rent and just kind of, as was described in court, freeloading. But, what it, you know, the, the, the big attraction to this from the point of view of the courts and the papers, of course, was being allegedly thrown out of your house in your underpants. Papers also talk today of not people being thrown out, but leaving. Uh, leaving. And there are, I mean, this story stacks up this morning, but also last year and the year before, uh, but more so in 2023, the exodus to Australia. And I certainly have really seen it with regards to the amount of paddy box emails that I'm getting from Australia this year. Quite alarming the numbers of new emails coming from people who have family and loved ones in Australia. But if you break down the figures, they are pretty shocking. Uh, so applications for healthcare staff to work in Australia soared uh, by thousands uh, over the past few years. Uh, and certainly in the last year, two and a half thousand left and got successful applications through to go to Australia. Two and a half thousand. That's up nearly a thousand on the 12 months previous. They break it down, actually. Like, since um, there's now 8,880 Irish medical professionals registered to work in Australia. Nearly 9,000 Irish medics working in Australia. And I bet you, just like last year, we will see a photograph of hundreds of them gathered on Bondi Beach on Christmas morning. And who are they? Well, they are dental practitioners, medical practitioners, midwives, nurses, occupational therapists, optometrists, osteopaths, uh, pharmacists, physiotherapists, um, psychologists, you, you name it, right across uh, the medical field of profession. They're all there. And um, a lot of it is to do with foreign recruiters who are coming over here recruiting and pitching jobs. And, of course, the terms and condition and the lifestyle is very attractive. So, and meanwhile, um, we also have had the worst year for hospital overcrowding ever on record. And that's a story doesn't surprise any of us. It doesn't. story makes the mail today. Um, Roy Keane's been criticised um, by uh, Mary Lou MacDonald and, and some others. Apparently, I didn't know it. My apologies for not knowing it, but he has some kind of a role, uh, some kind of involvement in Israeli in an Israeli football team. It's the front page of making the examiner today where Mary Lou MacDonald has condemned uh, Robbie Keane, sorry, Robbie Keane, I should say, for continuing to manage an Israeli team, saying that uh, sport and genocide uh, shouldn't mix. Um, apparently, uh, thousands of people, she says, been slaughtered, thousands of children, whole families wiped out. Uh, she was asked if Robbie Keane has made the right decision to continue to coach the team, and she said, no, I don't think he has. And, and when you talk about division, uh, I have no idea, because I wasn't aware that there... Is there a rift going on between the existing members of Aslan and, and, and say, for instance, Christy Dignam's loved ones? Uh, the, the star this morning says, and is quoting um, Christy Dignam's uh, daughter, uh, as saying, um, Dad didn't speak to Aslan for the last seven months of his life. Supposedly, the words uh, of um, his, his, his daughter, Kira Dignam, uh, she also has had to lash out at the online trolls who abused her over the fact that Aslan will not be included in the celebration event, the celebratory gig that's been organised for May to honour the memory of uh, Christy Dignam. Um, She actually said, Dad wouldn't want Aslan at the tribute show. Why? Um, She says, I can assure you uh, all that Aslan having any involvement with the gig is not what he would have wanted. There was also some... 
claims in the papers that a lot of this had to do with some kind of a story during the rounds that Kira Dignam wanted to replace her dad as the lead singer of Aslan. She has dismissed that, saying it's rubbish. She's got her own band, never wanted to be in Aslan, did not want to take over from her dad. And then members of Aslan have, of course, come out and said that they were recruiting a new lead singer. I don't, I don't see why Aslan recruiting a new lead singer could come up for any criticism. This is a working band that need a lead singer. And they were magnanimous enough to say that you could never replace Christy Dignam because he's irreplaceable, but the band has to go on. So I don't know. That's what the papers are speculating on this morning. There does seem to be some kind of a rift and some kind of bitterness. But the banks can break down. You're talking about music and, you know, entertainment and retail therapy. The banks can break down, of course, obviously they can. Every single thing we spend our money on. And then apparently at the end of the year then, certainly AIB do it, uh, they're able to work out exactly uh, who spent what, where, how much and when. So Springsteen and Coldplay fans apparently outspent Swifties on concert tickets this year. AIB are saying, and they can tell this from your debit and your credit card and the movement in your bank account. They said that May was the biggest month for beauty expenditure. Would that be ahead of the summer holidays, I would imagine? May is the month people get ready. Uh, the tan... Uh, or any kind of work that you need done on the old bod. Um, Other things then, not just May with regards to beauty, but also the fact that children make communions and confirmation makes May a big spending month. Uh, A rundown on the card spending by OAIB shows that the 11th day of January was the day when most of us booked holidays in a bid to leave the January blues behind. Isn't Isn't there a blue Monday in January? Don't they have a date, a blue Monday? Of course... All of these things, including Blue Monday, is just to encourage you to spend more money. A bit like, you know, um, a bit like, um, yeah, it's the 15th of January, the Blue Monday, but they're actually saying that the 11th of January is the day when most of us book our holidays. But um, you look at you look at all sorts of different calendar dates in the year that are meant to, you know, kick in and everybody's supposed to spend crazy amount of money because they're supposedly getting all sorts of discounts and, and offers. I don't know whether the I don't know whether the January sales hold any weight anymore, but that's the that's the research that's out in the independent this morning with regards to certainly AIB. It's picked up in the mail, they say, well, as soon as you say goodbye to Christmas, it's hello to the holidays. We turn the corner in early January and we're looking to sunshine and we're looking to holidays and January eleventh is apparently the date. There's near there's nearly two million of us who are speaking a bit of Irish, 1.9 million to be precise, Um, and that's a nice figure. You would think that it should uh, continue to grow, hopefully, because it's important. I mean, I was at a a time in my life years and years ago when I thought it was a dead language, and I kind of pretty much walked away from it. I've completely flipped that in the last 10 or or 15 years, and I realised that actually the Irish language, Gwelga, is really, really important to be kept alive. And I don't know whether you guys I try and speak it in the house as often as I possibly can. People don't usually respond to me, Osquelga, but I certainly try just to keep it alive. Um, also, the papers this morning have a lot of sporting stories. I won't deal too much on this because they just did it in the news there, but the Independent gives us the most popular Irish sports stars. Katie Taylor, Jonathan Sexton, Bundy Aki, and Rachel Blackmore are in there. It's been a few years now, I can tell you, since Conor McGregor claimed pole position or even got into the top five. Like, uh, it seems to be Katie Taylor for seven years in a row now. The last time an athlete other than Taylor claimed the top pole was Conor McGregor in 2016, and not since. And a couple of Christmassy-type stories for you. Um, the uh, One of the ways to avoid a lot of rows, because, uh, you know, there's probably going to be a lot going on on Christmas Day, trying to make sure that everything runs to schedule. There might be a bit of tension. One way of relieving that is switching off your mobile phones for Christmas Day. Uh, the downside to that is you'll probably miss out on Christmas 
Christmas Day messages and people sending greetings, but it will help you to enjoy the day stress-free. So therapists believe that households who agree to make the home tech-free zones at Christmas are more likely to avoid rows and and squabbles. Yeah, as in, don't squabble, play Scrabble. What do you think? Well, I think a lot of people listening to this show today would disagree with you on the fact that taking away your phone for Christmas... Uh, re- re- you know, releases all of the stress out of. You think Christmas. it makes it worse? Well, like I mean, uh, there was a time before p- before we all had mobile phones, and I can tell you, I'm sure Christmases then were plenty stressful for people. So I'm not really sure if this really right. holds water. Maybe if it was just a case that that the Christmas table would I, be a. I think that's a good idea. Zone. I think generally, like phones at tables. No, I can hear my mother saying, "Yeah, I'm sure you're the worst for it." Um, but you know, generally, I think mobile phones at tables, like just, just you know, it only takes an hour or two like just put it down just turn it off put it down for Christmas or take for a few day, selfies you know I mean? and put it away and put it away yeah and then yeah. you can then you should look there'll be plenty of time when we're all absolutely stuffed to the gills with chocolates and food and all that we're sitting in front of us so or whatever telly is on and you can be mindlessly scrolling through your phone but just at the table I think it's nice not to have it well this is what the therapists are saying they're the professionals they, would, they went to college yeah, <laughs> I, I wouldn't know but sure look <laughs> anyway I'll come back to more Christmassy stories throughout the course of the morning lots of do between now and midday. Calls on the way. Text 0868104106. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FM. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prendeville now on 0818104106. Red FM. Ah, uh, yes. We spoke a lot over the past few days about customer service and things like that. I don't know what the Irish equivalent to it is, but the English Times this morning says that energy suppliers, telecom companies, and banks are the ones that fail in every every area of customer service as standards continue to plummet to new depths. They find that millions of people are routinely ignored, left on hold by businesses, and when they get through, their problems are compounded by uncaring or poorly trained staff or ineffective chatbots. We kind of know all about that, don't we, and the frustrations of trying to deal with companies. A lot of the time it's totally automated. No disrespect to those in call centres, but they don't always have the information that you want. And if you're promised a call back, good luck on that one. Wouldn't be hanging around waiting for a call back. Anyway, text 0868104106. Yesterday we were talking about the fact that the Pope is now saying that priests can bless gay relationships, not marry them, but bless them and bless them inside in a church. So that's an interesting move forward. But in many other ways, I think we would appear to be lagging behind or, you know, it would appear that way when you hear sad stories like Lisa Marie, who joins me by phone. Lisa Marie, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thank you so much. And my apologies. I know it's a traumatic and sad story for you. My apologies I didn't get you on the air yesterday morning. Um, But I want to talk to you about your childhood sweetheart, James, who died uh, in September. How much can you tell? How much are you comfortable about telling us about that? And only go to places that you're comfortable with. Um, I'm very comfortable. Um, James was just, he was one of a kind. He was just amazing. He was loved wherever he went. He just lit up every room and he was just so kind. He always went out of his way to help people. Um, he was just amazing and he was amazing father. And he will be missed forever. And how old was he when he passed away? Um, he was 27. Um, two days later, he would have been 28 on the 13th of September. And it must have come as an awful shock to you, did it? Oh, indeed, yeah. It was very... Um, I wasn't expecting at all. Um, 
he was just he suffered with his mental health. Was he down? Did you notice that he was down or could you pick up on any signs? Um, no, he was just we had the most amazing weekend with our kids. We went to Garrettstown Beach and it was just the most beautiful and magical weekend. There was no signs or triggers or anything. Um, it was just very tragic and to this day it still feels like he'd just gone away. I know. He never, you never got any indication. He seemed to be in good form. He didn't seem to have anything troubling him and then he's gone. That's it. You see, that's what comes with mental health. It's just... It's hard to know. It's always the happiest of people as well and it just gets too much for them and it's so sad and heartbreaking for everyone. I don't know how you deal with that because you remember him as the happy, wonderful man that you fell in love with um, and um, and had a baby with, right? Yeah, we have two kids, um, six and two, and I'm due our third now in, in less than four weeks. So two kids and a third on the way. Yeah. And how are you coping? Do you know what now? It's my two little boys. They just keep me going. If it wasn't for them, I don't think I would be able to cope as well as I am because I just look at them and know that I'm all they've left. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And they adored their daddy. He was just amazing to them. He was just so fun and... He just he was too good for this world, Neil. He was just amazing. He was he was the best electrician in Ireland. He was just loved by everyone. And I just want to thank all of his work buddies and his friends. They were just very supportive. And it was, it was just it was an amazing turnout for him. And wow. he was just loved wherever he went. So all of his friends, they're looking out for you. And family are close to you as well, I hope. Yeah, of course they are. Oh, yes. Yes, his, his, him, my mother-in-law and father-in-law and all of that gang, they're just amazing. They're like my own parents. They my must own be as devastated as you. Yeah, they really must oh, Jesus, be. Yeah. Jesus, yeah. He, they were just, their games was their pride and joy. When I say childhood sweethearts, were you literally childhood sweethearts? Like we grew up together. We grew up in the same kind of area from like 13 and 14. Um, James was kind of always kind of trying to get with me for all my teenage years. Yeah, yeah, he broke you down. As he got older, yeah, and sure, he won me over dead with his charm. You were the one for him, only girlfriend, the only one he wanted. Yeah, that's it. And tell me now about this issue regarding, is it it a birth cert for the baby that's due or one of the babies, the kids that you have? Um, it's for the baby that's due. Right. Um, basically, after James passed, I went to have a scan. And I explained to the midwife what's going on. And she said, oh, you could do that in the hospital. We just need a swab from the mother-in-law. And I said, oh, that's great. At least I don't have to worry about that. You brought up the, the, you brought up the issue of names on the birth cert at the hospital, at the CMH, yeah. is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then I went back again the following couple of weeks and I was informed that that because we weren't married yet um, and I was told I need to go into City Hall and I went into the courthouse sorry, and I, I was just thought I'd get a piece of paper and I could just do it that way and I was shut down they said I need to go and get a solicitor and I need to go 
and it's sort of a civil bill that needs to be passed and it's a lot of paperwork and it can be expensive and I just broke down inside there because I just couldn't believe that I have to do all this on top of grieving the love of my life just to get him on the birth that so my, my, my child can know who his daddy was and you that he was here, yeah. you know. Yeah, that he existed and that he loved yeah. he loved his family yeah. and uh, yeah. So you simply want James who has passed away on the birth set alongside yourself as the mother and father of your child to, that's on the way. Yeah, and just to have his name as well, you know, because my I want I don't want him to feel left out for my other two kids, you know. Um, and why why is that why is that not straightforward? Has anybody told you? Is it because you're saying to me it's because, because you weren't married? Is it if you were married and James had passed away? Married, yeah. They said if I was married that I, I could just sign it and that would be that but it's because we weren't married um, and because James isn't there to witness him his name going down that I have to go through court to do it. And if you go through all of that court process would you also need DNA proof? See, I can't get much information okay. from anyone. Okay, let, 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 me, let, me, let me just find out if I can get you some information on this um, from, from a legal aspect. So it's, it's, the issue that, it's the issue is that you're, you're not married. Yes, yeah. Which I can't understand because we But if you were married, if you were married, married, if you were married and James had passed away... How, how would that be? How would that be different? Anyway, let, let me let me ask Tim Tim Bracken, the senior counsel. He joins me by phone. If anybody knows, he knows, and I've sent him on details of your case. Tim, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How I, are I know you? your I know your line dropped there for a few seconds. I don't know how much of the conversation you heard with Lisa Marie, but thank you for having a look at this. Um, can you explain what's going on in a situation like this, Tim? Yeah, yeah, and I'm very sorry for Lisa for what's happened and everything like that. But you see, it's it's. When you're not married, it's rather precarious, you know, and when a couple have committed to each other and there's children and there's property, you're in a very precarious position until you get married. And you see, in a non-marital situation where a woman gives birth to a child and she wants to name the father on the birth cert, the father has to actually sign a declaration that he is the father. That's just to prevent people naming fathers whom they want to name who may not be the father. Uh, you know, it's just right. checks and balances. Yeah. 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 Now, whereas you see, in a marital situation, when a woman, when a married woman gives birth to a child, uh, our law presumes that her husband is the father of the child until the contrary is proven. So therefore, there's a presumption that the husband uh, is the father and then that automatically um, I think it, 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 he's automatically enters then as the father of the child on right. the birth cert right. but when, when people aren't married it's a much more difficult situation and then there has to be verification as to who the father is and the actual father has to sign a declaration it probably happened in Lisa's case now she said I think she, had a, she has another child or two other two, two other children, kids young two kids. other children so in, in that in that situation he probably would have signed that declaration in respect of those children and that's why he is named as father on the birth certificate and but unfortunately what she will have to do now is she'll have to get a declaration of paternity um, in respect of um, of the third the, the child she's expecting Okay, and what does that mean? I mean, what what does that actually involve for for someone who that, that involves, probably is on a tight budget as it is and wouldn't be able yeah. to? There could be legal costs in all of this. Unfortunately, there will be legal costs because it requires going to court, 
and bringing a case to get an order. Um, it, it's rather complicated because um, Lisa, there would have, somebody would have to take out what's called either a grant of probate or a grant of administration to um, James's estate to start the ball rolling. So there's somebody to name as we call the respondent in cases like this. So that's an extra cost. It's an extra problem. And I don't know if James has left property or not. And you see, there's another difficulty about a non-marital situation. If James has died leaving property, and um, Lisa doesn't inherit it, it's her children inherit it. And um, so, so, so somebody would have to take, as I say, a, a grant of administration if he didn't leave a will, or the executor would take out a grant of probate if there was a will. Right. So it's um, so that's that, a job that is, usually that, for a solicitor anyway, and that's, that's a job for a solicitor. That's the starting point. Okay. Then you have somebody to name as a respondent because, um, since James is no longer with us, like it would be. A, B, as the personal representative of James, who would be the respondent in this case, and Lisa would be the applicant, and then you have to nominate somebody um, to um, to get DNA testing done on them. Usually, DNA testing has improved so much in the last maybe 10 years that usually a close relative of the deceased person um, like a brother or a sister or a parent, um, their DNA could show that there could be a match. Which was what was said to judge. Lisa in the CUMH by a, a kind nurse. She, the nurse believed that if if she could get a DNA swab, say for instance of James's mam, mm. that 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 mm. would suffice. It, it, it's no. not that straightforward. But there would no, need to no, be no, no. There would need to be DNA, and then afterwards with, with the DNA swab, and if the swab is a match, then you would use that go before the court and say, look, um, this is the situation where um, the, 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 the father is deceased, but his mother or his brother or somebody has given a sample and there's a 90% chance that the child then is his. And if the court makes a declaration of what we call a declaration of paternity, then you can have that registered. And even though that would take some months, you know, it wouldn't happen right. immediately, yeah. the, birth certificate, the birth certificate can be re-registered. And that, and that, and then that would have James's name on as the father. That would have James's name on. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. Well, it, would requ- it would require going to court to get a court order for a declaration of. Do you, do you believe? I mean, as a professional, that this is an outdated system, or are those checks and balances necessary? No, I think those checks and balances are necessary because I mean, anybody could be named by a woman as the father of the child, and they may not be the father. But they're, toge- but they're together since they're teens. They've been together for 10 years. They're all a bit I married, know. but in name. I know, I know. But unfortunately, uh, the marriage certificate is very important, um, Neil, because uh, when, when it comes to a lot of things, like, as I say, inheritance, if there was, if there was property to be inherited, like maybe uh, a portion of a house or maybe an insurance policy or something like that, um, Lisa doesn't inherit. But it's nothing, not, it's nothing to do with any of that. It's just to have the name of the dad on the birth cert. But you're saying that all of these are intertwined in law. They are intertwined. and it, they, they're, they're intertwined and it's under the Civil Registration Act of 2004. Right. But how is she so going I mean, to afford that, Lisa? Are you having trouble trying to even get... You'd need free legal aid for something like that, would you, Lisa? I think maybe free legal aid. You've got to see if they would give you 
I, I mean, they, they, they may fund it. They may fund it. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Okay. But I mean, the thing is, like, for, for what Lisa, I, I know Lisa is rather worried because um, she said that the, child, the father's name, you know, James' name will not be registered on the birth cert. That would happen initially. But then that can be changed at a later stage. Okay. So do you have like, a financial worry, Lisa, with regards to this as to how you could fund something like this? Oh, 100%. Sorry, no need. I'm just going to be thrown back. Um, it's just a lot to take in. Oh, I know. And, and, and I understand that. It's a lot for you to take in. But it, it would appear that you would need a solicitor to navigate this for you, you know? Um, yeah, I did get on to legal aid a good few weeks back. And I, I haven't heard anything. And I kept getting updates. And they basically told me because there's no um, court date that my file is flagged as not important, not not urgent. Yeah. Um, so that's been delayed as well on top of it all. And yeah. I just... Yeah. I just don't want to register that baby with my own, you know, without his dad. Yeah. It's kind of a bit of a dead end there, a roadblock, isn't there, Tim? Unfortunately, it is. Unfortunately, it is, Neil. Yeah, it is. It's, um, as I say, those checks and balances are put in for a reason. And um, it's like, you know, the law is harsh. And, you know, and then when you have difficult cases like this, they come within the ambit of something that's there to protect other people and, you know, to, and to have the checks and balances. Well, but, like, there is a way around it. There is a way around it, but it's, you know, it, it does require going to court. Yeah. What do you want to say, Lisa? I, I just don't understand how, if I, how I couldn't just get the DNA done. With, like with when the baby's born with my mother-in-law, and then just go when that comes back that it's a hundred percent. That's what, but that's what father. will, but that's exactly what will happen. Tim says, but it won't happen immediately. It will happen in time as you go through what needs to yeah. be a court process. All of this will happen for you. Rest assured, all of this will happen. But I think one of the big issues at this stage is the cost of this. Yeah, you know. If you don't get free, if you don't free, get free legal aid, you could be talking about thousands, couldn't you, Tim? If you could, unfortunately, yeah. Okay, it, it, it wouldn't be a cheap, it wouldn't be a cheap process because even and, and still the, the like DNA testing is not cheap either. Neil, it's an awful, you know, it's an awful I, I burden I to put on grieving partners, though, isn't it? It is, but I mean the thing is. That is the law as it stands. Okay. I mean, the thing is, if 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 it would be up to it would be up to our politicians and our legislature to change it if if they thought they could. Um, but that's that's what we that, that's the law as it, as it exists, and that's the law that we have to. Because deal with if it's point. outside of marriage, the worry is yes. no disrespect intended, but that a woman who gave birth to a child could literally put anybody's name down, um, yes. and and it wouldn't be you know. <sighs> Exactly. Obviously not the right thing to do. Okay, okay. All right, Tim, I appreciate that. Much obliged to you. I know you've got to get to court, so thank you for taking the call, right. as always. Okay. Sadly, on, thanks, okay. Tim Bracken, uh, Senior Counsel. Sorry, Lisa Marie, um, if you want to just hold on there for one second, I do yeah, know no I do know that um, Eva's been through a similar scenario. Eva, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How just, are you? Just quickly, I just want to take an ad break, so I just want to make sure you're okay to hold. I'll be back after the break. Oh, yeah, number one talk show.
The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Get it off your chest. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Now hold on there, uh, Lisa Marie. First, to sum up what, what Tim Bracken, the senior counsellor, is saying, he's saying these are the perils of not being married. If you're married, there's a presumption that your husband is the father of your child, right? I think we agree with that. When you have a child, as they would say, out of wedlock, as the law probably calls it, there's got to be consent by the father of the child to be put on the birth cert. So Lisa Marie's partner passed away. And she needs to go through a, a lengthy court system, which will also involve DNA testing. Um, she won't get free legal aid unless she's in dire straits, because that's how free legal aid works. Uh, James passed away in September. Uh, if it was sudden, there may be some tissue retained to get DNA. But if not, then DNA can be taken from a close res- relative like like James's mam. Um, I won't go into the inheritance stuff or, or probate or whether or not he left a will or anything. That's, that's quite personal. But that's, that's just the basics of it. But how did you navigate through this, Eva? Hi, Neil. How are you? So first of all, I want to say I'm very, very sorry for Lisa's loss. I know exactly what she's going through and she shouldn't be going through this. It is not fair this day and age, especially where people decide not to get married. You know, it's not... You can't just say, oh, you weren't married, so we can't put him as a dad on the birth certificate. Um, So when I gave birth to my daughter um, three years ago, her dad... Sorry, I I just lost you there, Eva. I'm sorry. sorry. I I, I think your partner passed away when you were nine weeks pregnant, is it? I was nine weeks pregnant, yes. So he never even got to meet her um, when she was born. So when they handed me in that little leaflet to fill out for her birth certificate, I didn't even know that it was such a thing as that I couldn't put him on the birth certificate that he won't be, you know, acknowledged as a dad of of my daughter, you know. Mm-hmm. And it took me about three months to realize that, you know, going back and forth to a uh, registry office in Cork, um, everyone telling me different things all the time that, you know, w- once I was told that if I go to a solicitor, if I get an affidavit from his parent stating that to the best of their knowledge that, you know, he is the father of our child, um, that that should do, that should be enough. And, you know, they can sign the birth certificate with his name on it and I will be done with that. But that's not accurate. That wasn't accurate. No. That my parents-in-law, they actually paid for the solicitor to do the affidavit yeah. because I was a single mad mother then already. You know, it's money doesn't fall from the trees. It's not, it's not, solicitors are not, a, you know, cheap. No. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, and then once we went with that affidavit to the registry office, that's when I was told that, no, I will have to go through the court. I will have to do a DNA test. Um, there will be, you know, one or two court hearings and I just lost it. <laughs> I, you know, it, it's hard enough when you're grieving, you, you lost your partner, you're a single mother, you are trying, it's, it's everything is new for you. And then there's this as well. Right. So right. I kept contacting legal aid. Uh, now, it was COVID time then as well, so it was quite hard to get through to them. But I did keep emailing. I, I did keep calling. I kept telling my story over and over to everyone until someone actually listened. And luckily enough, I was assigned after a few weeks, I think, I was contacted from Legal Aid saying that a lady will take on my case and she will help me. Were you means um, tested? So I was 
Uh, I was, yes. Okay. There was a charge for the legal aid and there was also charge for the DNA test that I how had. How much? To. How much? Um, now, I don't remember how much the legal aid was. I know I know the DNA was, I think it was around 250 euros. You had to pay that, is it? I did, yes. And then I had the chance to claim back, I think it was 87 euros okay. uh, from that money. But either the legal um, aid covered everything or did you have to pay something? I, 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 I paid something to legal aid. It wasn't... An, a big, big charge, you know, it wasn't, it didn't go into thousands or, you know, I think it was something about two, three hundred euros. Okay, okay, but they did the rest, did all the court appearances they and did. got a solicitor yes. for so you. Any, but, and there was a DNA it. test, do you mind me asking, on whom? So, the DNA test was for myself, for our daughter, and for uh, my partner's dad. Okay, and how so long did all that process take? Two long years for me to be able to get a piece of paper that says that, yes, indeed, my partner is the father of my daughter. Do you accept from a legal perspective what our senior counsel says, that it's that way and it's the perils of not being married? Um, Because if you're married, it's assumed that your husband's the father. But if it's a child where people are partners, there's not 100% certainty. I mean, it's very disrespectful to loving partners, I have to say. It is. And I was together with my partner for five years. Now, I know it's not an awful lot of time, but, you know, we had planned a family. We'd had plans to buy a house together. You know, it was all in the plans. And to say that, you know, they they can't prove that he is the father because he's not here, you know, it's, it's, it's such a disheartening thing. It's quite disrespectful. When you look at it, actually, taking the legal brief out of it and just from the point of view of humanity, it's it's disrespectful to women, I think, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I think DNA should be plenty. You know, if they need to really prove, if they need it on a piece of paper, then then DNA should be plenty. And DNA can be done by pair, you know, the other side's parents. But that's exactly what will happen, but there's a legal process to go through. So what advice would you give to Lisa Marie? I would just say don't give up. You know, if you haven't heard back from from legal aid, keep ringing, um, keep telling your story. You know, it's it's very easy for people to sit on the other side and just, you know, say it's not important, it's not urgent. For you, it's urgent. For your kids, it's urgent as well. For the baby who's not born yet, you know, it's such a big thing to be able to put dad's name on the birth certificate. But she's grieving because he only passed away in September. She's heavily pregnant. She's had the sudden loss of her long-term partner. She's got a two-year-old and a six-year-old who are also trying to process what happened to their daddy. Exactly, exactly. And then there's this that can take, that took me up to two years to finally resolve, you know. So it's not, it's not fair. Just be strong and keep, keep going at them and, you know, keep going until they hear you and until they take on your case and then let them do it because they will. Uh, The people in legal age, you know, the lady who took me on, now I don't recall her name anymore. I wouldn't be allowed to give her name out anyway, but there was somebody who eventually listened. She was just absolutely amazing. She, you know, once she took it on, any any updates she had, she I was getting letters in, in post. 
um, uh, you know, phone calls if needed to be in court cases. She did it all for me, and I'm so so grateful for her. Would you would you chat with Lisa Marie off air maybe and help her along to navigate? Maybe I would. I would, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Lisa Marie, how how do you feel now after um, these, this update? Any any better? You know, I know it's going to be a, a long road, but I'm not certain? going to lie. I am a bit pulled back um, because when I was in the courthouse, she said you just have to go to court. She made it sound so simple. I know hearing that it could take up to two years. It's after really kind of shocking me a bit. I know. Um, I know. I know. And just the whole the whole process of it is just so. It's just so unfair in a way. Um, it sounds a bit cruel in sort of a way as well. Um, of course it looks just, cruel to you because it is cruel to you. You were in a loving relationship with a man who you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with and have three beautiful children with. Uh, but unfortunately the courts don't see it. They look at it through a more suspicious lens. Uh, oh yeah, you're, yeah, you're not married so he mightn't be. Yeah. You'll have to prove it, you know. Just a piece of paper to say you're married... And if you don't have that, it just makes you very questioning paternity. It's very upsetting. Okay. Well, Eva um, went through exactly the same thing, but yeah. but stuck with it. Isn't that right, Eva? you got to stick with it. Okay. Keep making the calls. Yeah. Keep being the, the squeaky wheel, if you like. Yes, because otherwise you won't get anywhere. You know, it's it's you have to show them, you know, that you're stronger and... You will stick through it and you will get it done and your baby will have, you know, your partner's name on the birth certificate at the end of it. Okay, okay. Would you would you chat with Eva off air, Lisa Marie, to see if maybe she might be able to help, you know, with regards to free legal course, aid yeah, or did, yeah. citizens information? Yeah, help is very appreciated, yeah. Yeah. Um, it seems as if it may be a, 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 um, a process that might take a year or two, you know? Yeah. But at least you now know that, and you're, you have you have information to power on with that this isn't going to happen early in the new year or anything. I suppose you know, obviously you are heavily pregnant and grieving the loss of James, and you have the two children. But I think take consolation with the fact that it will get fixed, but not today or tomorrow. You want it to be fast, but it will happen in time. You know. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's just. What I've been, it's the information that people are giving you is what kind of pulls you back a bit. Well, now you know the correct information. Yeah. You've had it from somebody who's been through the system, and you've had it yeah. from a from a barrister to tell you this will happen. It will take a little bit of time. I, I, I imagine you don't have a lot of money of your own to be able to spend at something like this. Oh, no! I wish I did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, let's find out what the cost to you might be. All right. As soon as you get free legal aid assigned, but Eva's saying you just need to keep making the calls. Is there like free legal aid? Is that a walk-in office? I wonder, Eva. Um, you see, I wouldn't be uh, aware oh. now because when I was contacting them, it was COVID time, so nothing was really. I also walk-in. okay. I also know that email. Citizens Information Bureau give fantastic advice, also. So they would be worth chatting with, but um, um. I'm going to leave it there for now, uh, Lisa Marie. Talk, talk with Eva off the air. At least I know you're disappointed. Um, I hope you have a happy Christmas. I know it'll be a difficult Christmas without James and it'll probably be far from happy, but I hope you're getting at least some some peace from the knowledge that things will be right in time. Okay, thank you so much, Neil. And if you, and if you, if, if, if there is, a, listen, if there is a free legal aid fee, 
you know, if it's if it's a few hundred, um, and you haven't got it, come back to me, will you? And uh, we'll sort that for you. I wouldn't I wouldn't see you, I wouldn't see you out for the loss of three or four hundred euro. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You have my you have my number, so you just come back to me and stay in touch. Talk to talk to Eva. At some stage, I will be talking to you again with happy news. And if there's a few hundred euro for the DNA or some kind of a fee for legal aid and you just literally don't have it, please call me. Okay, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Not at all. We'll chat again, all right? Thank you. Right. Hold on there, Eva, and we'll give you Lisa Marie's number. Thanks so much. Happy Christmas right, to you thank both. Thank you. What it's Happy, worth. Christmas Happy Christmas to all of you. Thanks, Bye, girls. Bye, girls. Bye. You're listening to Court's number one talk show. I just think he's a brilliant interviewer. The Neil Prenderville Show on Court's Red FM. Morning, all. Um, some lovely Christmas greetings coming in all week. Uh, just to share a few with you. My beautiful dad, Eddie, is a legend, Neil, who got the all clear from cancer and worked and kept going. He's an inspiration. He's a pigeon fan. Lost his sister this year, so I feel for him, says Anthony Pickford in Limerick. Let me wish all of the Pickfords and Eddie coming through that battle uh, a very happy Christmas and his pigeons a happy Christmas as well. Somebody says happy Christmas to Neil and all of the team. Thanks for another great year of radio. That's very kind. Another thing that's very kind is somebody wrote me a poem. It was the night before Christmas and all through the house. The Neil Prendival show was playing. A daily Cork tradition from me and my spouse. You keep me company every morning. A friend you've always been. Kept me up to date on all things Cork and everything in between. A proud Cork person I certainly am. You share that fondness too. Happy Christmas to you and your team. We appreciate all you do. All I can say to that is, ah. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Some people around here know their heads tested. Seamus says... That's being Crosby. Something Crosby. Michael Bublé, and I play that very specially for Sharon Bailey, who sent me that beautiful poem, beautifully presented in colour with all sorts of gorgeous baubles and Christmas tree stuff. Thank you, Sharon. Happy Christmas to all your family too. Talking about uh, looking a lot like Christmas, but is it? I wonder, are we close enough now to call the next few days and to call Christmas Day itself? Well, the man who will know is Alan O'Reilly from Carlow Weather. Morning to you, Alan. Morning, Neil. How are we doing? I'm good. Um, can we accurately now look at up to and including Christmas Day, I wonder? Yeah, the weather models seem to have come into a bit of agreement. So generally we have a good good handle on how it's going to proceed. So lots and lots of wind the next few days. Very windy weather, especially tomorrow. Um, but strong winds really up until uh, Christmas Eve. There will be some spells of rain. Um, not a lot of rain, but kind of damp, drizzly weather and some showers, um, especially risk of heavy showers possibly for some parts of the south on Christmas Eve. Um, generally mild up until Christmas Day, so temperatures um, above 10 degrees, but that strong wind will make it feel a little bit cooler mm. and the fact that there's not going to be much sunshine as well. Mm. Um but the good news is Christmas Day now is looking largely dry mm. and settled and maybe even some sunshine. Mm. Um, it will drop back a little bit, so it might feel a little bit more festive for the fire on Christmas night because temperatures will drop back Christmas night maybe to close to zero degrees. Um, so, yeah, not not a bad-looking Christmas Day at all at the moment, actually, is how it's looking. And you're looking to say Christmas Day as being dry cloudy and around nine degrees in Cork I think would that be would that be accurate there thereabouts starting off around that yeah and then dropping back through the day so some cooler air likely to move in so yeah it'll it'll start off around that but um, there might even be some sunshine developing 
and then a little bit clearer and obviously under clear skies and later in the day in the evening time it might get down to two or three degrees. Yeah. Should people be on alert for tomorrow because it is a very windy day expected tomorrow with possible gales on the coast. I'm, I'm just mentioning. Yeah, absolutely. Near the coast, need to be careful tomorrow. Um, very big wind field coming down from the northwest. Um, so very strong winds gusting to probably 80, 90 kilometres an hour in some parts of the south. Um, some overtopping with high seas. So, yeah, uh, there is there is certainly a, a cautious day tomorrow ahead in terms of um, being near the coast. But okay. but generally nothing too severe, but a very windy day for sure. Okay, so we take, the, we take those three or four or five days. Wouldn't we really, to be honest with you? Like, we'd prefer if it was a bit brighter and sunnier, but by and large, not not too bad. No, like I was I was posting saying like generally for people trying to get home from abroad or, you know, maybe moving up and down the country even it's not it's not looking too bad at all. I might be the only thing I'd but maybe the ferries. You might want to skip the big breakfast or the big dinner before you get on a ferry. If you're if you're travelling by ferry, it could be a little bit bumpy. Yeah. But uh, other than that, no, it's not looking too bad at all, actually. All right. Okay. So we're looking at Christmas Day, cloudy, dry, around about nine degrees. Yeah. Yeah, not too bad at all. Alan, thank you so much for that. Can I take this opportunity to thank you for all your contributions across the year and wish you and yours a happy Christmas. Many happy returns, thanks. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prenderville Show on Red FM. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106. Cork's Red FM. Okay, text 0868104106. I mentioned uh, customer service or lack of, and it seems to be just getting worse and worse. Uh, morning, Neil. After, did you not know that a lot of the call centres for the banks in particular are in India? I complained to the bank about their own customer service because I called about something and they gave me the wrong information, so I ended up getting caught out at the restaurant. After my complaint, the bank gave me a 300 euro voucher. It is worth complaining. Um, people who are being told, leave the phones off on Christmas Day to um, cut down on rows and squabbles and tension. Uh, we were talking about that earlier on. Kevin is suggesting if you were asked to turn your phone off on Christmas Day, it probably would lead to more rows, squabbles and tension. Somebody suggests live on your own and the problem will be solved. And another person says the networks should all close down for the eight hours across the day on Christmas Day. You could not have that for a moment. I mean, even from the point of view of emergencies. On divorce and the Catholic Church, myself and my wife got married in 2012. We asked our local priest at the time to bless our rings because we were both divorced. He changed his mind and said he couldn't. We went to St. Francis Church where the, where the, where the, the legal priest is. Uh, he told, I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, he told us that if we died, the church wouldn't pray for us and that they would pray for our families, but not for us. We did end up getting them blessed from a fabulous priest that I know. So that's from yesterday's program. We were talking about that topic of conversation because the Pope has had a, a change of heart in that regard and has told priests that they can bless um, a gay relationship and a gay uh, couple in a church. Not marry, but bless. Lisa Marie's story has got quite an amount of texts where her partner James has passed away and she is now legally to go through all sorts of hoops because they're not married to get his name on the birth cert. Not to take from Lisa Marie's case, but there should be mandatory DNA testing for all fathers. It would cut out a lot of messing going forward. Why Why would you do that? That is so anti-man that there would be automatically DNA testing. I mean, that is a broad brush, isn't it? Uh, uh, to catch. What are you tr- who are you trying to catch here? Uh, men 
who get women pregnant and walk away. I, I understand that, but not all men are like that. It's so heartbreaking listening to that woman, Lisa Marie. It brought tears to my eyes. I hope she finds peace and comfort with her three precious children. Um, lads, this is absolutely heartbreaking. You think you have problems until to hear a story like Lisa Marie's. I cannot but feel deep sorrow for Lisa Marie, but I'm also extremely angry that no one is willing to help her to get through all of the red tape if Lisa Marie had just arrived in the country with no identification whatsoever, she'd get more help from her civil servants than what she is getting now. That's the way of it. It just seems to be that way, um, that we're just not being heard, particularly in tragic circumstances like Lisa Marie, where an exception should, of course, be made. Please, somebody set up a GoFundMe for that woman trying to get her deceased partner on the child's birth cert. It's the only thing that's holding her back is money. She's Irish, she's one of her own, and she deserves it at the very least. She has enough to deal with. It's only a small thing to get, but it's a massive thing to bring her some comfort. Please, people, get a GoFundMe set up for bringing... Uh, people got a GoFundMe set up for bringing a cat home, for God's sake. This is a real problem, and she shouldn't have to go through it. Um, did you know that that cat was a complete swizz? Uh, I'm sure the cat did exist in Vietnam, but it never happened. Uh, and that was one of the most... That was one of the more tragic GoFundMes that were set up where people gave over 10 grand... The whole thing got very, very messy and quite sinister, I have to say, at one stage because we were across that story. So if you contributed to that, um, uh, unless the cat came back unbeknownst to me, but I don't think that any of that ever happened. Um, But listen, I'm quite happy um, if people want to perhaps set up a GoFundMe in the new year if Lisa Marie is having absolutely no luck with legal aid, but she should get legal aid for something like this. She should. And okay, if it doesn't happen, I will revisit that story. Why don't you put it out over the air to see how many high-rolling solicitors would take it on as a pro bono case, as a gesture of goodwill? Let's just see how many would take it on. Okay, that suggestion is there. If there is a legal practitioner who would like to take on Lisa Marie's case pro bono, um, please do get in touch with me and I'll pass on the details. Text 0868104106, email neil at redfm.ie. In morning, Neil, you can be sure this wouldn't happen to a same-sex couple. All right. Uh, what a sad case to hear Lisa Marie on the air this morning. Hopefully she'll get through it. My heart is broken for her. So thank you for all of those texts. Keep them coming. Text 0868104106. Christmas week. We have a much better idea now how things are looking with regards to the weather right up to and including Christmas Day. Every year we head out and about checking in with all sorts of different people in lots of different circumstances. And I know uh, that Claire's been working on uh, share residence and the boys and girls of share. And we'll talk with them on the air, I think, tomorrow. Uh, but during the week, or actually the back end of last week, our own Kevin Galvin went out and visit, this year visited Beaumont Nursing Home. He was asking the residents there about their Christmas memories. And he has some lovely stories to share over the next couple of days. Let me delve into his magical box of memories then. He spoke to 80-year-old, 90-year-old, 90-year-old, my apologies, Finbar O'Brien at Beaumont Nursing Home. And he told us all about the days of growing up on the outskirts of the city. Beautiful story. Here's Finbar and Kevin. Myself and my sisters okay. were born in Cork Travis. And we lived in uh, Hilltown. Okay. It's a rural area between Douglas and Carrigaline. It is more built up now, but... But it is getting more and more built up. Yeah. But in my time, it was a real rural area. And for Christmas, we, there was a tradition there for going to Rochestown Monastery on Christmas morning to Mass. Right. Six o'clock in the morning to Mass. So that meant getting up about four. But I remember one morning, 
we woke up to go to Mass and no, Santi hadn't arrived. So we eventually, when I was came down, we walked, we just walked to Rochestown. All the people just walked down, uh, except those with horse and cats right. and, and traps and that, you know. Mm. But uh, very often, the people in the horse and traps gave a lift to the women. So we all walked always on a rough road it was down to. And uh, it was really exciting. Yeah. Black dark, of course. Yeah. And uh, and everybody spoke to each other and it was a great morning for meeting and greeting. And in the mass, for the mass there, they had a procession before the six o'clock mass, yeah. bringing down the... the uh, the child Jesus as were down to the crib yeah. and they start up on the top of the of their grounds and they bring them walking down to the church and the singing and music on the way so it was very, quite exciting for a young fella you know yeah. and from our side of it we came down a big hill towards the town so you could you could See down, see the lights of the procession coming down towards the church and on your way down the hill. And it was exciting. The gates of the church, there were little rings on them, mm. on the wall, to tie up the horses with all the... The mass itself was very exciting, a lovely mass. Mm. And you walked up the avenue... And uh, on the left, which was a, a kind of a little lake or a pond and a big fountain and water flying up, they threw even then yeah. and uh, and pass those and walk up the steps to the church itself. Mm. So it was a small church, which was wooden inside. So it was demolished, later all changed. But there's a beautiful sound in there, mm. and it, you're, you're there up the steps and in then, and uh, we always eventually packed a yeah. Christmas day. And uh, uh, what did Santy bring you? Like, what did you have? You any toy that really stood out in your mind that you got one Christmas? Uh, I have. Uh, one was a is a train set mm. uh, going around in a circle, yeah. you know, and it's still. A, Affects me when I hear the sound. Barry's tea, the lovely's <laughs> uh, advertisement, and uh, the father telling the son about having the train going and doing hoot hoot, yeah. and uh, the young for all excitement. Yeah. You know, that reminds me of that. Something about Christmas. There's something about it that creeps inside and finds the child in you. I was having a look around the shops to see what Santa might be bringing the boys, and there was this train set. Old style, black engine with maroon stripe, green and black carriages, all set up like. And the sound it made. Soft. Yet I got right through all the space agey screeches in the place. And I remembered another Christmas morning. Waking up, the windows frosted over with cold. You could see your breath. And the thing that woke me was that sound. And I didn't dare hope. Sliding out of bed, cold at the floor. And there it was, going round and round on the bedroom rug. I ran down, could barely speak. Mum and Dad were sitting there. 
What is the it? teapot covered in that knitted cosy and the smell of hot Dad, milky tea? You'll never guess what Santa brought. You'll never guess what Santa brought, I said. Well, doesn't that beat well, Banner? Doesn't that beat Banner? Said train my mother. set no less. Train set no less. Santa the smart. Isn't Santa the smart fella? Turn the moment gold with Barry's Gold Blend Tea. It was definitely turkey, yeah. and we look forward to that. And at that stage, I was very young. And no uncle of mine was enjoying his Christmas His name was Dan Murphy, and he had a shop down farther on the road from us. It was a shop which was a house, and he had his items up on top of tables and everything. And he just went in and paid him and took a bar of chocolate or whatever. Oh, yeah. And uh, did, you, did you still have to pay even though he was your uncle? Well, I say I got it. I got a reduction, all right. He <laughs> was always joking. Z. <laughs> yes. oh, I, said, I remember Peggy's leg was no one. <laughs> one. Uh, it was a long street yeah. that you bit yourself and. That it would last a long time, in other words. Yeah. That was one. And uh, biscuits were pretty common also. Right. You'd be sent for uh, for cigarettes there, you know, players' weights, wood bones, and all these, especially during the war. Yeah. You know, the local guys who smoked, we grew up a bit, you know, just like a bike. They'd give you a few bob to go to Calgary and maybe see could you get a cigarette or two. And were Christmases very different during the war? Because obviously we had the emergency and the rationing, yeah, like... Right. Yeah. So there was a shortage of everything. Mm. And, uh, yeah, basically, you were eating the food of the land mm. where you lived. Mm. And then at the, uh, that time there was rationing, as you heard of. And the rationing was very real, mm. you know. And the rationing, the foods were replaced by ordinary, you know, uh, stuff grown in the land, obviously potatoes, turnips and other type of tube. And my father kept a very big uh, vegetable garden. And every we always had plenty of vegetables. Mm. And we didn't realise it at the time. We were being fed very good food, mm. you know, mm. and not much of the sweets and all that. You didn't get much of them, you know. Mm. Uh, and the only time we, you get, you know, like the cake now, they're queen cake or something, but you get them all over the place now. Yeah. But uh, I remember I was get one a week when my mother went shopping to town, to the city, and she'd come home in the bus, and I'd get one. It was a jam tart. I'd always get that. And I nibbled that then to make it last. Yeah, because you, <laughs> you, you, you knew you weren't getting another one for, yeah, yeah, the for, week. for next week. Yeah. <laughs> and she forgot it. <laughs> oh, she took me. It should be disaster for that day, anyway. Yeah, you yeah. So what's Christmas this year going to look like for you? Like, have you have you daughters that are going to come yeah, down? I have a daughter, and they have a, a son and daughter. Uh, Avril is their name. Uh, Avril Corcoran. And they have a son, Luke, and a daughter, Ellen. 
Yeah, we didn't enjoy that very much, no. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. we, especially when you're uh, not getting the streets, as we like to call it that. Uh, and uh, this place is lovely, but it's not home. from the Phil Spector stable and Sleigh Ride it's a lovely conversation there beautiful conversation with the lovely man Finbar 90 years young remembering Christmas of yesteryear we'll have more from Kevin and indeed from Beaumont Nursing Home actually we're talking about he was talking about a lot of different traditions reading in the paper this morning and this is a UK study I get that but they're talking about uh, the massive decline in the number of people taking part in say time honoured Christmas traditions you know festive tastes change and they're saying you know, not as many people as before. I don't know. They're just saying that more people aren't putting out mince pies for Santa Claus. They're not hanging up stockings. They're not singing Christmas carols. And they're not sending Christmas cards. A lot of the time I wonder about that. I mean, paper never refuses ink. But they're saying that they you know, probably did a survey of 2,000 British people. Maybe there were 2,000 Grinches. I don't know. I know people who send lots of Christmas cards. The problem with Christmas cards, though, is sending them to a lot of people. Postage is very expensive. And I think it should be a reduced postage at Christmas time or maybe even free postage at Christmas time. But I was in town at the weekend last Friday and there was Christmas carols everywhere. There were people singing up and down Patrick Street, Winthrop Street, Oliver Plunkett Street, hanging up a stocking. We still do it. Putting out something for Santa Claus and the reindeers. Absolutely. And then they were saying less and less people. Oh, give me a break. That They're saying only 27 people, 20%, 77% of people in the UK, 27, actually roast potatoes. I mean, you can't have a Christmas dinner without roast potatoes. 22% said they have turkey with the meal. I mean, what do the other 78% eat on Christmas Day? But anyway, it's very interesting because Seamus has a nice piece from the um, from the Cole K. Uh, and without wanting to steal his thunder with regards to the audio, I think it, part of it is that less and less people are getting um, holly and ivy this anymore or mistletoe and stuff like that. I tell you, I'm in town at lunchtime today, hopefully going for the annual, um, you know, sandwich at the Long Valley if I can get in the door. And I'm going to go up to the Coke and I'm going to buy holly and I'm going to buy the holly with the ivy and I'm going to buy holly with the berries and a bit of mistletoe just to keep it going. But I see in the echo then this morning um, that the drinks budget for work parties has been slashed. Personnel departments and HR departments are saying less and less should be spent over the counter for the Christmas parties because um, of the morning after or I suppose shenanigans that might happen during the Christmas party or productivity the day after. It's a story that makes the echo where uh, Mike Ryan at Cockpool and uh, Corn Store are also saying uh, that uh, there's been big changes in the decision by companies to cut back on alcohol spending at Christmas time to minimise the impact on the attendance of employees I guess most of them not showing up the next day is having an impact uh, and it's a bit of a financial hangover for restaurants and indeed pubs but talking <laughs> Needs me nicely along. <laughs> Talking about hangovers. I promised to do this earlier in the week, so my apologies, my apologies to Claire for not doing it. It had to do with a survey that was out, and I was talking about being in the Imperial on Friday mm-hmm. night for an hour. Yep. Every table, all the way around the establishment of the bar, was full of people, primarily women, mm-hmm. who were out partying and mm-hmm. having fun with their friends, drinking cocktails. Yes, Cocktails, And there was an awful lot of staff behind the counter who were just designated to making cocktails. Mm-hmm. And the survey was saying that the porn star martini is the top favourite across the country. What is it? The porn star martini is very, very popular. So it's quite a sweet cocktail. 
Um, basically, it's a vodka-based cocktail. Usually a vanilla vodka would be used in it. And there's a passion fruit liqueur in it. There's a bit of lime juice in there, sugar syrup as well, just to add to the sweetness. And usually people get a little shot glass of Prosecco that they throw into it as well. It's very, it's very sweet then, is it? It's very sweet. I, I like a Born Star Martini. I, I would definitely have one, maybe two, but like it's not the kind of one you'd be starting off at at nine o'clock and still having, you know, after you'd a few You'd be blasted hours. from it, would you? Well, cocktails in general can be very strong, you know, and as you I say... Them. Yeah, definitely sippers. Like you can kind of have the tall ones that might yeah. be kind of topped up with like a soda water or something, but the short and strong ones, you know, they're mixing a few different remember, spirits yeah, in I there. I remember years and years ago um, trying out, um, um, what was it? What was An apple martini. Oh yeah, that's also very sweet. I, I, had, I had two of them and lost the power of my legs. <laughs> no, no, seriously, I lost the power of my legs. I was fine sitting on the stool, but when I got off, I just buckled. Yeah. Now, there probably had been six or seven pints before that. Back okay, in the, that, in the, might in have, bad, that might have been the reason days. for that one. So. <laughs> no, I would have been fine if I hadn't had these. Th- yeah. I mean, so I'm saying it's high octane, high octane alco- alcohol. In it. Yeah, like usually measurements wise, you would get more of an, you'd get more than your normal measure. Do you know if you were to get like a, a vodka and lemonade or something like that, the measurement would be 35 and a half mil for the vodka. In cocktails, it can be more. And then, as I say in the porn star martini, there's another liqueur on top of that, which is also alcoholic. So you're mixing a few, and then there's prosecco on top of that. So you know you're so mixing you really a few need different to be, things there. You need to be aware of what you're drinking if it's a cocktail. I mean the list of them is mm-hmm. like again without hogging the limelight um, I gigged a lot way back in the day yeah. there was only two cocktails one was a slow comfortable screw up against the wall did you ever hear that? <laughs> I'm not saying you did that but did you ever hear it? <laughs> no. okay well that was a cocktail and the other one was a Harvey Wall banger okay what was in these two? I don't know what was in the slow know. comfortable I guess slow gin maybe? yeah maybe yeah comfortable yeah, yeah. screw up against the wall okay. maybe the screw is orange juice screwing the up. screwdriver is vodka and orange juice so don't maybe know. that's where they somebody get somebody will tell me what it was and maybe somebody else on the planet remembers it the Harvey Wallbanger had grenadine in it Oh, okay and Galliano is that a, what is that? Galliano is the big huge tall liqueur bottle did you ever see it big huge tall thing gets thinner as it goes right up okay. to the top no? yeah 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 what kind of flavour is it though this is insane this, you'd, I'd like, this is like I was talking to somebody recently um, because there's a documentary on Sky about um, about Lockerbie that was me you were talking to me about that was that you <laughs> yeah. you never knew about Lockerbie no, and it was in the paper today and you never heard about no um, I didn't know about Lockerbie uh, about uh, Harvey Wallbanger no I'm off. Right, I, I'll just get my coat. <laughs> no, I'm off. You, you can say it's, it's your world now, right? I'm actually, I'm, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm an interloper. Okay. We can do this together. Okay, so there's other ones there. Oh, another one was a black Russian. Is that popular yes. anymore? No, you wouldn't see that very often. White Russians are a bit more popular now. Uh, they're very tasty. They're kind of deserty though. <laughs> the black Russian had Guinness in it. Tia Maria. Tia Maria and Guinness. God. Well, the white Russian has vodka, Tia Maria and uh, milk. Or, ba- or Bailey's if you want to sweeten the deal that's a morning after so what else is popular so like most places would have their kind of classic cocktails list so you get like your margarita you get your cosmopolitan your old fashioned Negroni you know mojito pina colada espresso martini all those kind ah, of right. things no, right? no, 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 those I know the yeah. espresso martini yes. is a big hit I yeah. see Kira Evans often shares photographs of her espresso <laughs> oh, martini oh there's the baby Guinness she likes the baby Guinness on her Instagram is that what she's drinking <laughs> She likes the baby Guinness. They're the little shots, you know, with the tea 
Maria and the Baileys on the top. And espresso martinis then, they're vodka-based cocktails as well and they have, uh, you know, your tea Maria, your Kahlua in it, the coffee liqueur and they have sugar syrup as well and fresh coffee like espresso coffee. You really know your stuff for I a barista. Did, did you train in cocktail making as well? No, it was something that kind of came about during COVID. Um, I suppose I worked in a bar before and I worked as a barista before so I think I just love making drinks maybe. <laughs> but um, I got a great cocktail kit during COVID and you know, it's just a bit of fun. You have the, the I have a nice cocktail book. You can also see recipes online and if you get a few basic things, you know, you're off and away and My it's just a bit of fun. My dad and when they were both alive did that actually. They, they got the whole kit years yeah. ago and they used to make Mai Tais. Oh wow, okay. I've I no never idea what had a Mai Tai. They're very popular in the States. I always hear about them there. Okay, so what else then? And then, then let's talk a little bit about the cost, right? Yeah, so like as I say, a lot of places would have like the classic cocktail menu, like the ones that we listed out there that everybody knows. But great places would kind of have a bespoke menu. So like they'd have their own made up cocktails and then classic cocktails on request. Or you could go up and say like, can I get a... Harvey Wallbanger and do you know what they have the things <laughs> they to make know what I'm about. but if they if they if, if you can say what's in it they'll be able to make it for you do you know and there's some there's fabulous places all around Cork that are doing like okay. excellent cocktails where's the best place then let's just move to that part I love the Raven on South Main Street they're fantastic for cocktails and I love Paladar as well on Bridge Street which is quite new um, and it I was only superb. so nice yeah. and it was only recently um, it, it won in this kind of list of awards for top 10 new cocktail places in Europe yeah. in the top 10 yeah. so they're doing amazing cocktails in there and as I say the menu will be like all different ones that they're creating themselves but if you go up and you just want a, a plain normal espresso martini or a Cosmo they'll definitely make so that for you So they don't roll their well. eyes up to heaven saying come on man no. I'm really busy here I want to serve pints get your act no. together And the last time I was in there I saw a Pisco Sour on the menu and I'd never had one of those and the 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 man behind the bar he was so friendly and he was so welcome to questions and he gave me a little taste of, of the Pisco as well to try and he explained how it's made and everything like that and they're you know people really know their stuff about cocktails and in Cork we're really lucky with the likes of those places Okay well they were beating about the yin yang inside in the Imperial you've mm-hmm. mentioned the Raven you mentioned yeah. Palador yeah. Cask had a big name Cask was like one of the first really good cocktail places in Cork as well and they definitely made a name for themselves there on McCurtain Street they're excellent and upstairs at Arthur Mains as well uh, just off the crane lane upstairs there's a really cute little cocktail bar up there that's really really popular they've been okay. making great cocktails okay yeah, out in a date of a night um, mm. uh, it's be an expensive thing wasn't it I mean they're they're not cheap right no I How mean you're, you're kind of looking at ugh, 11, 12, 13, 14 kind of a thing 14 euro for yeah. a drink mm-hmm. a tiny little mm-hmm. drink well you see like huh? it's the love that's put into it that's three points thought I know huh it's special, you know. And as I say, you're not going to be buying, you know, four or five of those. You might have the one. It might be just a nice little tipple before dinner or after dinner or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> your eyes are bugging out of your head. Maybe eight or nine <laughs> or ten at a push. No. <laughs> if you want the good stuff, you got to pay for it. Yet. <laughs> so what did they, okay? So they're saying the porn star martini yeah. is the top cocktail yes. in Ireland. But would mm-hmm. that be the case here? Just pick up on your own stuff there. Yeah, like I think that what kind of came out of this survey that was done by Musgrave Marketplace and Musgrave Northern Ireland as well. It was across the whole island, and they were kind of saying that sweet is trumping sour in terms of cocktails, so that people are more likely to go for the sweet ones, more likely to have a sweet tooth, preferring sugary cocktails. Um, and they also said that 70% of people are more likely to drink a cocktail at Christmas than at any other time. So I think, you know, especially when you're out, have, you know, out with your work pals, with your friends or whatever, having a little cocktail, it's kind of like a celebration. It's like, it's, 
it's almost like, you know, before you might have a glass of champagne or something like that. I think cocktails are the new kind of fancy. To start the night kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. you would. Are yeah. shots still popular, forgive my ignorance? They are. I think the baby Guinness, now that I was talking to you about, they're really popular. What's in that? Guinness it's and just what? Tea, no, it, there's no Guinness. Isn't there? It just looks like a teeny tiny little pint of Guinness. So it's Tia Maria, or your coffee, like your uh, Kahlua. And then there's a little bit of Baileys on the top. Yeah. It's delicious. Yeah, okay. It's just okay. very, yeah, it's yeah. very easy to drink. Yeah. So. so what would you say the big one in Cork is? Shots wise or? No, cocktails wise. So definitely pouring some martini, but I think that margarita is a really, really popular. The well. old fashioned margarita? Yeah. That's vodka and orange Tequila. No, no, no. That's tequila. a tequila based one. So you have tequila, a uh, bit of lime juice, and there's a little bit of uh, Cointreau and there's a little bit of triple sec. You know, so if that's that a margarita, mm-hmm. what's a tequila sunrise? Tequila sunrise is different. You don't there's that um, orange in that. Yeah, there's definitely orange juice in that and tequila and maybe something else to make it a little bit. A few people here remember way too many of the tequila sunrises. Too. Yeah. A lot of them too easy to drink. <laughs> yeah, I think they can be a bit deceiving. So what I would say is to just, you know, if you are having a cocktail, sip it away, take your time um, and enjoy it. Because, you know, as I said, the price is there. So, you know, you should kind of enjoy it and really, really taste it. And, and on top of everything else, doesn't it also go to show the people working in hospitality, particularly mm. in bars, mm-hmm. they're very highly trained now. Oh, you know? totally. Or would, oh, yeah. or would, they, would they be hiring specific cocktail staff? I don't know. Or does everybody now need to know? I think that they are getting more and more popular. And I was in the Shelburne as well in my current one day and there was a girl flying with the cocktail. Shelburne there, is a know. real success story because yeah. they do everything really well, including yes. uh, they got a massive whiskey collection. Huge I whiskey mean, we collection, could, We yeah. could talk about that as well if yeah. you want because people are very discerning, more so than ever now. Younger generation like their whiskey. Or it's even in general, like the people specify now, it's not just gin and tonic or, you know, whiskey and ginger. It's like specifically what kind of whiskey they want or what kind of gin they want. I think people are... The gin and these ridiculously stupid massive... <laughs> Oh, no. balloon glasses no no I every time I go to the bar I say can I get a gin tonic in a slim glass I hate those fishbowl glasses you feel like you're gonna kind of get drowned out with all the you ice fall into it <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. In it. yeah okay okay so we're talking about the Shelburne we're talking about the Raven we're talking yeah. about cask we're talking about Palador mm-hmm. I mentioned the Imperial because I saw it yeah myself. absolutely great spot in the Imperial as well they're a lovely lovely old fashioned bar there and Palador and, and Pigal as well as the last mention up in Barrack Street story for you here you saw this one this morning the West End nightclub because oh, you gave yeah. it to me I mean imagine that this this nightclub has been fined £120,000 mm-hmm. after a barman accidentally served caustic soda with tequila shots instead of salt do you want to just pick up on that what exactly what exactly happened there well you see like as I said now tequila is very popular and with the tequila shots you have the salt and the lemon yeah so he ran out of salt I, I, I don't he went know. to a container thought it was salt mix up it, it was, was caustic a, soda it sounded like it was you gave it, what did they do then because it's tequila they put the caustic soda the on your wrist on your on your hand and you lick the salt and then you take the shot and then you you bite on the lemon or the lime or whatever they give you so yeah very very bad mix up there it he sounded, saw the reaction when they licked the salt yeah tried himself yeah burnt his mouth mm-hmm. and then realised oh my God, they, they were removed to hospital yeah. and were lucky to survive. Yeah, because he had tried it himself and that is a very strong, very, very strong thing that could seriously, yeah. So that was a very, very bad mix-up. Mm-hmm. You can be sure of it. All right, so uh, you'll be having a couple of, uh, what will it be, porn star martinis over the Christmas? I like kind of a simple cocktail. It's called a Southside. It just has gin, lime juice and a small bit of sugar syrup. You can only get it on the Southside, is it? No, 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 you can get it anywhere, I'd say. <laughs> 
I don't know why it's called the South Side, actually. Especially because my mother's from the North Side. <laughs> Off you go, so. I, I, I always knew that the North Side was always Murphy and the South Side was always <laughs> Beamish. We'll have to create a new cocktail called the North Side. We'll take some uh, recommendations for Thanks, that Claire. One. Okay, Thanks. appreciate it. I hope that helps you guys as you navigate your few drinks over the Christmas period and you like a cocktail. Interesting, a lot of Christmas is to do with nostalgia. Here's a lovely piece. Actually, thank you. The bar in the Imperial is called Sketch. It's called Sketch. Uh, but this is a lovely piece from back in the day when Cha and Maya were doing their thing on the on Hall's Pictorial Weekly, Frank Duggan and Cha and Maya. They were on the old park bench down the marina and were discussing the drinking habits of people of Munster and how Christmas is nothing more than a glorified booze-up. If I can find that piece of audio for you, I will bring it to air. Uh, I'll do it after the break. Hold on there. The Neil Prendeville Show. Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork. On Red FM. The voice of Cork. Neil Prendeville. Weekdays 9 to midday. Cork's Red FM. Christmas isn't what it used to be, Maya. Oh, that's true, yeah. It's finished, boy. It's finished. The old festive spirit is gone. Like the festival have decreated into nothing more than a glorified booze. After no dignity left, boy. No dignity at all. Like, it's very sad. Very sad. If you take a stroll now any night between this and Christmas, you'll see dozens of boys and girls and they're reeling and streeling from one side of the footpath to the other, behaving as if they were guinnets. And Maya, what's the cause of it? Cause they can't hold their drink. Mind you, I don't blame them. Cause the Irish stomach was never made to stand up to them foreign concoctions like barcades and cherry brandies and avdicats and white lemonade and all that sort of stuff. Right enough, my head, the Irish stomach wasn't designed for that job. Mind you, when the cork people stuck to their own native combustibles, brewed or distilled... As the case may be. As the case may be, thank you very much, Chair. Brewed or distilled on their own native soil, they were able to lap them up like mother's milk and no bother to them. But you see, that's what comes now of all this modern education. The native product is no longer good enough for them. But did the people get drunk them times at all? Of course they did, of course they did. And it wasn't noticeable, you see. I know Cork was always renowned for its strong drink, but the Cork drinkers were also renowned for their ability to hold it. They drank like gentlemen in these days, Chair. Not like a crowd of, of Dago's that would collapse at the whiff of a cock barman's apron. Maya, what way does a gentleman drink? With dignity and poise, Chair. Always been careful not to make a holy show of himself. Cock gentlemen, there isn't many of them knocking around now. A vanishing race, Chair, a vanishing race. It's not uncommon nowadays to see them slopping their drinks down their shirts or even dropping them on the floor. Shocking. Terrible. That never happened in the old days, I can tell you. The men from Cork City, Skibbereen, Ring Skinny, Clonic, Kilty, Balniscarty, Newmarket and Bandon, they could stand at the bar all day Luring their drinks like kings. And they never lost their foot. Oh, well, no, and not one did. They're not all perfect. But when they did fall, they fell with dignity and discretion. Gentlemen to the last. I have seen strong farmers from Kentuck and merchants from Gorleen on a Christmas Eve fall out of their standing like an oak tree 
thou art struck by lightning. Majestic chair, majestic. And they never let go their glasses, nor spilt a single drop on the floor. Not like today, my days more spilt than drunk. The golden age of drinking is come to an end, chair. This is the start of a new dark ages. Tis the end of an era, Moya. The, the end, end of, of an, an era. era. The classic chair, Moya, from I think around about. <laughs> 1975, making a holy show of themselves drinking bar caddies when they should be drinking their own native combustibles. <laughs> Back after 11. You're listening to the number one talk show in Cork, The Neil Prendeville Show. It's the best in Cork. On Red FX. On different topics this morning. Uh, morning, my friend. Wishing you and everybody at Red a very happy Christmas and New Year. Many thanks for looking, looking after each other, says Johnny Bongos. Uh, thank you so much. And happy Christmas to everybody who's saying happy Christmas to us. Actually, Pat makes a very good point. He said, last week the government gave Santa or Santi, whichever you like, clearance to fly into Irish airspace. The question is, so what? We haven't the defence capability to stop the reindeer-powered sleigh anyway, driven by one guy who was mince, one mince pie away from a heart attack. <laughs> He's got special powers, I think, Santa Claus. Uh, a lot then on cocktails. My favourite cocktail was in Slick's Bar on McCurtain Street back in the day. It was called a Yellow Bird. It is obsolete now. I remember Slick's because I played in Slick's. Uh, it was a very, very popular pub. Just, I think, um, did it turn into uh, Subway, I think, or something like that. Slicks on the corner of McCurtain Street and um, and uh, St. Patrick's Hill. Mind you, if you're up around McCurtain Street, some great bars there already, up to and including, um, I think it's a coffee shop now, Slicks. Thanks for that. But uh, you can pop over to, um, certainly pop over to the Shelburne or head over to uh, one or two of the other pubs there. Mangan's cocktail menu, Neil, from the 1990s, Attached. And here it is. I was one of the first flair bartenders in Ireland back in the day. It's a fabulous topic. A Harvey Wallbanger you spoke about was vodka, orange juice, and you float the Galliano on top. Cocktail making has changed a lot for sure. Uh, we used to make an SMO cocktail back in the 90s. It was called a Screaming Multiple Orgasm. Thank you for that. I can only imagine what that tastes like, says Colin Murphy back in the day. He sent me a copy of the Mangan's um, cocktail menu. And it includes another few. It actually includes the slow, comfortable screw as well. Um, I can't really make out exactly what was in it. But uh, back in the day, it was spelt S-L-O-W, even though it was S-L-O-E, which was the actual weapon within the cocktail, I suppose. It was the slow berry. Another one or two in there that he's showing me from Mangan's is the Black Russian. Um, the Cork Kiss was another popular one. Sex on the Beach. Don't know if that one is still doing the rounds. Actually, back in the day, if you look at the 80s, say, for instance, those of you can remember it, I bet there's a lot of people listening to me that had a cocktail in the Gay Future Cocktail Bar at the Victoria Hotel, run by the likes of Chris Toomey and the great um, Dan O'Brien and the likes. Uh, it was part of the Victoria Hotel and you'd have a couple of cocktails or a few pints or whatever the case may be and then head in to Coco's nightclub. Anyway, keep those coming as we continue reminiscing. Text 0868104106. I've got more on, um, you know, bars. Remember I was telling you about the top 10 list of rules when it comes to ordering a drink at Christmas time and driving the barman or bar person crazy. I'll do that between now and midday. But we're looking at the Christmas of yesteryear after the break. Cork's number one talk show. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM.
Cork's biggest conversation is here. The Neil Brenderville Show is on Cork's Red FM. Yeah, times change and in some ways they remain the same. There are many, many things as popular now at Christmas time as they were back, say, for instance, in the 1970s. But a lot has been left to history. There's a beautiful article in this year's Hollybow written by the uh, folklorist and lecturer at UCC and the Cork College of FET, Shane Lehan, a regular contributor to this here program. He joins me by phone. Morning to you, Shane. Happy Christmas. And the same to you, Neil, and all the listeners. And I know that Christmas Day is something that you honed in on in the Holly Bow beautifully from your own childhood. And the lovely colour photograph for you and the family, your mum and dad and brothers and sisters <laughs> from the 1970s. A right-looking, well-behaved lad, I have to say. But you recall <laughs> that day vividly, do you? Well, I do. Listen, there's a few little reasons I love Christmas, Neil. Number one, my birthday is actually Christmas Day. So oh, that's I, a I bummer, isn't it? And, uh, and as, as a child, I always looked forward to it so, so much, you know. But it was different because, like, I grew up in Ballinlock in, in, in typical suburbia, you know, and we, we all lived in the kitchen, uh, which was the only room with the fire that was heated. But on Christmas Day... We had our dinner in a different room. We had our dinner in what we what we called the dining room. Yeah. But it was only one day. We lit the fire uh, in the sitting room, and we had our the tablecloth was laid out, and the cutlery was brought out that we never saw before. The delf was brought out, and oh my god, you sure you weren't having di- you sure you're having Christmas dinner in my house? It sounds exactly the same as mine. And the kitchen was tiny. Yeah, yeah, we were all, we did our lessons in there, Neil, we did everything, you know, uh, we all sat in and would watch the television, it was, there was only one room, but on Christmas Day, everything changed, and what I'm amazed at, really, is the, 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 the extent of the meal and the flamboyance that my poor mother and father put together for us, and the extravagance that was there, because it was the single biggest meal of the year and like first and foremost we had what we called a starter like we never knew what a starter was in the past you know but the starter was technically quite often uh, a slice of grapefruit um, and uh, a chivers um, glacé cherry that was cut delicately in two and placed on top so we, we hadn't an idea how to eat the grapefruit number one you get it out without poking your eye out with it. yeah and it was sour on top of that like we were sprinkling sugar doing everything or sometimes it was the ubiquitous prawn cocktail, of course. That was. Well, you must have been very prosh and posh and balanock if the kids were getting prawn cocktails. Well, well, I'd say it was, we never saw the, 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 the prawns came were shrimp that came directly out of a tin. You know, they never saw they never saw the sea for a long time. In a pink but kind of sauce that was what was that like uh, mashed up with mayonnaise or something? Was it? Because yeah, well, we ketchup and mayonnaise. mayonnaise. Salad cream, langos, <laughs> salad cream and, and tomato sauce, you know, for, which give it a bit of pink. But, you know, put onto a piece of lettuce, and there was only one type of lettuce as well, but sure, we thought we were in seventh heaven. But the big deal, of course, at Christmas was the, and, and apologies to all my friends now who were vegans and who were vegetarians and everything, but they weren't around at all in the 1970s meal. Every, everyone, everyone was a pure carnivore, like, and there was the turkey. And there was the ham, and there was the spiced beef, and the turkey was was like you know it was Jesus there was there was absolute dread of the turkey. It had to be stuffed, you know, and the stuffing had to be made, and there was no such thing as buying your stuffy stuffing pre-made. And were you a bread stuffing or a potato stuffing house? Well, 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 we were we were a bread stuffing, but a lot of people who would have had the goose would have loved the the, the potato stuffing, and that was kind of all the traditional people liked that. Oh, I so, love um, the potato stuffing with chopped yeah. onion and thyme. Oh, it's just a job. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the, the turkey went in then and it was in. It was put in at the first hour of the morning and people went to mass and we went up to our Auntie Rita's and we visited all their relatives and everything. So the turkey was still there like at two o'clock or three o'clock when, you know, we, when, when we came back home and it was dried out completely. There was no doubt about it. There was no uh, basic or anything like that. People hadn't clue. Of course, one, know, of the, one of the things you forgot, but you didn't forget about it in the article, is that, of course, the Christmas cake would have been made months before and the Christmas pudding but the night before that's when the mammies would put the marafat peas on to soak right oh yeah yeah well that was a, that was a regular Sunday ritual but kind of like for Christmas God, it would, like sometimes you'd forget to put the, the little capsule you know into that's the it yeah, whatever that was yeah, and, and that, whatever and that was a kind of a soda that that it was just just gave they took the zinc off the inside of the pot that gave everything <laughs> a metallic taste <laughs> and like we often piece. we yeah and we used to boil the marisats then and people were were distraught because the mar the, the shell of the outside of the marisats would come off and everything would turn to mush oh, and, I love it. God, they were they were a huge parts of it but going back as well very importantly then you know you had the you had the spiced beef and you had the, the ham but you remember as well Neil something I recall we had green shield stamps okay That's right, and the yeah. green shield stamps came out when you got petrol and different things and we used to go into this shop and one of the contraptions that came out in the 1970s was an electric carving knife probably the worst the worst contraption ever invented you know and it just made roasted meat didn't it it just kind of ruined it it, it, would, it would just reduce it to shreds really like the, the hope in hell that you get a nice delicate slice you know with an ordinary knife but of course we didn't even have carving knives that time like to be honest like when you think about it the other, the other thing I love about the Christmas dinner then were the potatoes, you know. You mentioned the potato stuffing, that was one. But roast potatoes were, the, were like the, the king of potatoes really for the Christmas dinner. And people used to have, you know, people in the country had goose fat. But we had a thing in the, in the press um, and it was a jam jar. It was an old crock, an old marmalade crock, I think from, uh, from Glasgow or something. But my mother would always take the dripping from the pan and she'd put it back into that. There was no olive oil, there was no vegetable oil, there was oh, nothing like that. Dead right. Uh, dead rice and that, would, yeah. and, and that that would give the flavour then there was a mixture of lamb and beef and everything inside and that that would give the flavours to the roast potatoes but on top oh, of the roast potatoes yeah. then you had the m- m- mad newfangled thing were croquettes potato croquettes and then because himself was there as well and you know he couldn't do without his bit of mash you had to have mashed potatoes as well so you had three different types you didn't have a Yorkshire you had a big plate for all of that you didn't have a Yorkshire pudding on that plate did you know we, we, we were never that fancy no no we, we never went to Yorkshire pudding but talking about Yorkshire we had Yorkshire relish right <laughs> and the Lee and Perrins and the Yorkshire relish they were demanded because we weren't the great fans you know, of the Brussels sprout and you, you'd give them a good dose of that and sure you'd eat the inside of your slipper if you put Yorkshire relish on them <laughs> that's right weren't the desserts insane because everybody had if you were lucky enough to have somebody who could make a real trifle that was fantastic but if not it came in a powdered box didn't it well, yeah, you you would all do that. Well, we we never went. But they were the old fashioned, like the trifles that that would have come in that sort of way. But we we would always have like when I remember about the trifle was the surface of Harvey's Bristol cream. The 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 the, uh, the old Swiss roll that was at the bottom has yeah. to be absolutely drowned in it. Uh, yeah, drowned in that and swimming in it. And you, of course, with the birds custard in on top of that, you might have jelly as well. But you whipping cream. We were forever whipping cream. We had this small handheld contraption. 
of a thing with a rattly handle that would take off and sort of half the kitchen would be spattered with, with all of the, 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 the cream that you had there, you know. You look, so, like, you, and we make up the trifle and then, yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah, go on. No, I'll pick it up in a sec. Go ahead. No, no. So, so I think, I'm thinking just after the trifle, of course, then you had the plum pudding. And if you weren't filled by the plum pudding, that was set alight with the Hennessy's brandy. You were then into the, the Christmas cake that you mentioned that had been laced with pudding that you got from some, some person out the country. There was a and lot of pump, pomp and ceremony involved in lighting the, the brandy and, or the whiskey, whatever you were putting on top of the plum pudding, wasn't there? Yeah. And All the lights had to go knew. off. We never knew. We never knew that actually you had to heat the brandy to make it really ignite very well. You know, yeah. you just had a little pot, and uh, so we were we were forever. We had matches and Maguire and Patterson boxes <laughs> were being used left, right, and centre as we were trying to ignite this thing that would never light. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Does anybody? Does anybody? Do you remember the 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 the, the kind of powder desserts you used to be able to get? Angel, was it Angel's Delight? Was big business oh, back yeah. then? So, so, Are they so all they gone were, now? They were the well, God. They were they were part of the kind of nineteen seventies kind of modern instant food, like instant smashed potatoes. But Angel's Delight, God knows what was in it. It was a kind of a gelatinized sort of a coloured chemical sort of thing that was would end up like a blancmange or, or whatever. But they were the usual sort of awful things. But to be fair, on our mother's Langoneal, they were brilliant cooks, brilliant bakers. They made sponges and they made apple tarts and so on. So you know, we loved then as children the other stuff, you know, the other stuff that was what was coming in, you know. <laughs> Do you remember the hundreds and thousands, those tiny little balls that were put on top of all the yeah. desserts and they wreck your teeth and crack the teeth of you? Like, well, yeah, we were into all, all of that, but that was the razzmatazz of the Christmas um, Christmas yeah, dinner, yeah, you know, yeah, the whole yeah. thing. And then we always enjoyed it because we had so much whipped cream whipped up for some reason in our house. We didn't have a cup of tea, which was normal. We had an Irish coffee. We had coffee, but that was instant coffee. Like there was no real coffee that time. You just had instant coffee with a good dollop of whiskey and then a load of cream on top. Yeah, but the kids didn't have that. Well, we did. We we did, and you know we. Did were you really? Uh, How old were you? And you we drinking did. whiskey and Irish coffee? Oh God, sure. I was I was the youngest, so you you wouldn't leave anyone out. And there was a reason for it, Neil. And let me communicate this one because I think it's the heart and soul of the Christmas. My father would sit at the end of the table, and my lovely father died, and he'd raise up his glass. And we have Irish coffee, and he'd give the Irish toast, the Mirami Bio Egan Armshaw Arish. Oh, my grandfather used to say, yeah, beautiful. 12 months. Yeah, yeah. Great so that was it, and that, that's why we were all involved. That it, the toast was all important, and that we were all back at base. We were all back in the nest, and we were all we survived a year. We hadn't died winter right, yet, you. and we were all all going forward. I you would know? have thought it would have been Tanora or Raza you'd be drinking, and you coughing away on the Irish coffees oh, over Ballon Lock. We, well, well, that was for the toast, yeah. But Tanora was great, and like Tanora and Raza, Raza was Midaza, as we'd say. But more than that, then Neil, what, what was important was that uh, when I'd been interviewing people, they all remember another drink called Little Nora. Now, Little Nora was a, a drink that was de- developed by Beamish and Crawford. It was a lemonade, cordial. They had a whole pile of them from the 1930s, and they had a bottling plant down in Bandon. And little Nora then would be, you know, was 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 I suppose the precursor to what we call Tanora, right. if you like. That's where the the name came from. So the little Nora is 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 stepping back a generation before me, but fondly remembered by so many at Christmas. Time. Well, the adults then would have been drinking fairly suspect wine, wouldn't they? Our selection of wine in the seventies. We used to call it the dreaded Padrotti when we had wine bars on Lee side with late licenses. You'd go in there for a few extra, but was drinking acid. 
Yes, and it was. And, you know, like, we, we really had no idea about wine. You think about how super sophisticated Irish people have become now as wine connoisseurs. But the, the point is that going back a generation, and, like, you know, when going back a, a few, 30 years or so, one of the things you start to think about is that there was Blue Nun, there was Black Tower, there was Chianti, which was really bought for the, 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 the lovely woven round of the, of the bottle. That's right. And there was, uh, there was the dreaded, Pedrotti or Pedrotti, Pedrotti as we used to call Pedrotti. it. But like, right, but, but you had you didn't even know when you bought a, a bottle of Black Tower what colour was going to come out. Like it, it, it was yeah. wine. It was neither red, red or white. You know, it was so we were we were different. But it was a day. It was an occasion. But it was a very posh sounding Matthews Rosé. And they were a lovely bottle as well. And we all, you know, got those and we stuck seashells on them and made lamps out of them. And like that was half the idea of buying the bottle of wine. Was to, yeah. And to was your house then uh, an afternoon tea house or a USA assorted? And um, we 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 were very very much. I remember the USA assorted tin as if it was yesterday. Actually, the USA assorted biscuits, funnily enough, were brought in when America actually joined World War One. That's how old that tin goes. Yeah, back. No That's way. What it's called USA. Um, so Jacobs developed that as a, an honour to the to the Americans for coming in. But I remember that tin as being sort of the one that was exotic. No, um, we'd look into it one day, and there might be the Christmas cake in it. But the next day we'd look into it would be the shoe polish. <laughs> Right. It always came up with another use, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly now, though, USA Assorted has gone to, into a cardboard box, and I don't like that, yeah. but, you know, I bought yeah. a box of it last week and all the biscuits were broken in it, but you either had one or yeah. the other. They were, like, because there were different offerings. USA Assorted, I think, is a better offering than afternoon tea, but it was a bit like yeah. whether you were a Guinness or a Murphy's drinker or a Beamish or a Murphy's drinker, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. And listen, there was there was that, but the tin of biscuits, and then you also had ubiquitous kind of sweets that were got. I remember with some, some aunt or something would have brought liqueurs or as you said we were drinking Irish coffees but we were scoffing the liqueurs as well um, and then there was the emerald which were kind of a sawdusty kind of a feast that really was meaningless and then you had the, the, the trays of, of, of you know with everyone going down and picking out their the, the one that they wanted from the bottom tray sure, look. So and we were still eating and the funniest thing of all Neil is this after all that surface of food after everything then and we were absolutely full to the brim. Someone would say, would anyone like a sandwich? You know? <laughs> and sure enough, then, we'd be straight into... Uh, and and so it, we would love the sandwich, you know, and a turkey sandwich or whatever, and the, and the feasting would continue. Yeah, it's fabulous days to remember. You have vivid memories of it. Any particular Santi present that you got back in the 70s that you remember? It's a tough question because there probably was a lot of them, but does any stick out fondly? Yeah, listen, there, there, there are loads. I, I remember the ubiquitous um, the train sets that were there one year because I was the youngest. My my father, I think, the, the, the train set was more for him. But he, but he got a sheet of 8 by 4 and he made a train set and he did it all up for a side. I remember that. The one I remember the best, actually, was my two brothers, Barry and Rory, and we playing Sabutio. Sabutio was the Soccer. real. And Rory, Rory had Chelsea and Barry had Liverpool. But this year we got... Um, we got the Sabutio floodlights. Now, they were no good because we, you had to be in the dark, but we got over that, Neil, by putting the Sabutio pitch under the bed. And we put, we put the, uh, the floodlights on it and we were down. How we ever played, I don't know, but I remember so much fun with, with, with all of those, you know. So, no, I, I was lucky, at my, as they say, it was my birthday, Christmas Day, and I always got plenty of presents and I think I have such fond memories of my loving parents. And you have, and God rest them, and we 
you have no issue at all with the fact that your birthday was on Christmas Day. I can't help but feel that you were cheated. No, no, no. I, I, I still love it. I think it's magnificent. I just I adore it and I, I look forward to no end. And do you I get know, extras, no, though, because it is your birthday? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I okay. do. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's really what happens, and and uh, uh, it's it's great. Like I can't see anything else. Well no. said, my man. Christmas is in the nineteen seventies. I'm sure that will instill a few memories in other people. Happy Christmas to you, Shane, and thank you for everything throughout the course of the year. Do appreciate it. Not at all. And, and the same to you, Neil, and the same to everyone. Take all care. the best to you. And a big Bye. hit from the seventies now. Listen, that's a beautiful song, Roy Wood and Wizard. Um, just bear in mind, lads, that there's a car broken down, apparently, between the two exits for the front and back village in Douglas. Uh, it's about 10 minutes old, so I don't know if it's still the same situation, but people are being asked to slow down as they head that way because there is a car broken down in the middle of the road between the two Douglas exits. Christmas and season's greetings to one and all. Of course, we'll be travelling overseas again to the Four Corners tomorrow and indeed Friday, checking in with people overseas who've been lucky enough to get some of our paddy box hampers courtesy of ourselves and the paddybox.com and don't forget we've got some more turkey breasts half hams and spiced beef to give away again today and indeed tomorrow from McCarthy's Butchers and Meat Market at Hawks Road and Bishopstown just before midday today incidentally I'm also giving them away on my own Instagram page if you want to uh, you know flash over there and, and follow me on Instagram for your chance to win it's a draw it's an automated draw on Instagram the names are just picked at random so all that's happening as well but some beautiful audio this week from Beaumont Nursing Home and Kevin was just telling me that all of the residents are gathered this morning inside in the lounge area where they all get together and I'm sure it's beautiful and festive at Beaumont Nursing Home uh, and they're all gathered there and uh, heard or a little bit earlier on from Beaumont Nursing Home back there in a few minutes time just after the break and we'll be hearing from other people in the nursing home reminiscing about their own Christmases including 96 year old Sister Bernard uh, from Limerick and 85 year old Marie O'Sullivan uh, and also 94 year old Michael Dunn who only recently moved into the home from his own home in County Tipperary so all that with those lovely people from Beaumont Nursing Home after the break You're listening to Cork's number one talk show. I just think he's a brilliant interviewer. The Neil Prenderville show on Cork's Red FM. Call the Neil Prenderville show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. I was born in a place called Tipperary in Mount Number 2. When I was a young fella, let's be quite honest... We were living in darkness. We had, all we had was candlelight, and I was very small. It's only later in life I began to realise that I could say that we, I lived in biblical, biblical times. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what it was like. And uh, look, uh, it was great for us. Uh, I reared on a farm. We had, well, I say... We were, we were okay. We had plenty of food and whatnot. Uh, ah, but we had no money. Mm. And, you know, as I look back, we didn't need it. Yeah. Because that's the way things worked. My my aunt was a school teacher in mine, and uh, she gave me a present 
of a wooden horse. It's like out of Troy. Out of Troy. That's exactly what it was. And unfortunately, on Christmas Day, didn't someone let the horse fall and the leg oh, fell off? No. So poor Mick had to cry. <laughs> That's it. That's it. We had no, we, we had no, uh, nothing to stick it on the them days, you yeah, know. Yeah, no glue. Really. Except, except, except. Uh, uh, what we used to use um, flour and a bit of water that would stick it for a while. <laughs> My mother was a very thrifty lady. Mm. Uh, she always reared about. In my recollection, about 20 geese. And uh, we started off maybe in about the month of October, November. We'd have a goose every Sunday for our dinner, for our Sunday dinner. Now, yeah. there, was, um, uh, there was five boys of us in it and uh, uh, two girls. And uh, you can imagine, like, when we were growing up, <laughs> we, we did need <laughs> a lot of food. and But that's right, I remember the, the goose, and the, they, 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 were, they were literally lovely. Mm. We had plenty of potatoes and plenty of everything, that kind of stuff, you know. Mm. I really enjoyed growing up in uh, my interval too. I really mm. enjoyed it. It was very much less stress because uh, presents, well, you got a little present, but after that... Uh, you didn't get you get you didn't get much luxuries. Yes. I can tell you, you didn't get much luxuries. Mm. Well, as far as we were concerned, Christmas was only in mine mm. because we had no communications, we had no radios, we had no te- uh, no televisions or no phones. Mm. So basically, everything any bit of news we got was hand or mouth. The biggest thing that happened in my life was the day that electricity. Rural electrification came mm. and we got uh, electricity. That was really, uh, really fantastic. I remember my dad got rest him. Uh, he decided he'd invest on a couple of uh, three or four little electric motors that he could attach to di- uh, different uh, things that were used in the uh, farm. Up mm. to this, we had to do it by hand. And one that was a point where you put in... Uh, potatoes or put in uh, turnips or uh, and you, you pulp it up for, for but you had to twist it mm. by hand and you put a motor onto it and lo and behold life would <laughs> have changed completely <laughs> I remember it quite well because that was that used to be my job to to, pulp, to do the pulping you weren't left. You weren't left unemployed, were you? Once uh, more, I, I wouldn't say I was left unemployed, but uh, I, I moved. I was moved aside. <laughs> Can I ask you just because obviously you said you're ninety four? Is it? I'm right yeah, saying ninety four. Yeah. So would you have remembered the emergency and Christmas during the emergency oh, during the Second yeah. World War? Oh, I would have remembered the emergency quite well, uh, and we all. Uh, we all got our uh, little coupons and uh, entitled you to have maybe an ounce of tea and two ounces of sugar. And uh, Christmas must have been very different, though, uh, is it? I, basically, I think what was good, uh, as it was, because, see, there was a lot of things on ration, mm. but because we were, we were on a farm, we had all our own food, which was very good. And I didn't realise until I went to secondary school into 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 Turles how some children were like literally starved mm. because their parents hadn't the wherewith 
Whereas we hadn't much money either, but at the same time we had loads of food. Yeah, the farm. And farm. Mm. I'm 94 now, and my wife is soon to be 92. Mm. And I was in hospital myself there. For the past two years, I have been mainly uh, looking after the house, so to speak. My mm. wife had, between one thing and another, we knew that uh, we wouldn't be able to manage our own house, you know. Mm. And, and uh, where where do you go? So uh, my daughter was here in Cork and she did all the research and she found us this nursing home. Mm. And uh, I said, I'm only here a couple of months, I can't be, uh, uh, be critical, but it's a bit of a big adjustment for us. Yeah. Uh, but as a guard staff, they are literally fantastic. Mm. Fantastic. You, as you say, you have two daughters are close enough by, so will, ah, you, will yeah, you spend ah, Christmas with them? They are very good to us. Very, very good to us. Mm. And uh, very good. And uh, I actually look at all the family. They are very good. I have a son in, in Nashville, Tennessee, so oh. he'll be home now at Christmas. So that's great, yeah. So are you all decanting to Cork or Dungarvan? No, we're all... We're, uh, we're, we're going out for... Four nights out to my daughter in Dungarvan, and uh, all the gang will in there. And there's a hotel nearby there uh, that have all these lovely bungalows, so they will hire a bungalow or two. Brilliant. And uh, they will uh, uh, accommodate the overflow, as the saying is, you know. <laughs> and uh, I will have a bit of a party, I presume, as well, you know. And that's that's about it. And uh, look, it's, when you get old, you begin to realise how good people are to you. You know, you, you begin to realise that the way they look after you. We'll live in my memory when the swan. I'm Sister Bernard O'Reardon, the Arslan in Blackrock. And Sister Bernard, are you were you born in Cork? No, I was born in County Limerick, but I've been all over the world. I was in Kenya for years, worked there. I worked in America for years, and I have travelled around Pakistan for years. I've been around a bit. Have you been in Kenya and Pakistan for Christmas? I have, yes, (laughs) in both places. And uh, the poverty... And Kenya, I'll never forget. But there were Kentigan priests, at least missionaries, and they were tremendously good to the poor. Uh, Christmas was a huge thing. And I remember we lived on a farm out County Limerick, two-storey house, and I remember going out on Christmas Eve and looking round... Uh, the, the roof how it was two story high mm. how is Santa going to get up? and I I really believed this how is he going to get up that wall <laughs> and when he gets into the chimney I went inside then and looked up so how's he going to get down there how's <laughs> <laughs> my worry about Santa for Christmas <laughs> uh, the logistics he managed it every year though in fairness to him <laughs> he did he was there every year oh my god uh, not huge presents for Christmas in those days no that's way back in the I was born in 1927, so that'd be the early 30s. 
I was beginning secondary school and I remember my uncle brought me to a, a, the garage in day for petrol. He was looking for petrol for a car and I was standing beside the petrol pump and a man came out and he said, the war is on. And I said, thank God, that's great. Well, I'm no school now. <laughs> I was 39. Six years of World War Two. Little did I know as a kid. I know I was uh, six years in secondary school. About halfway through, things began to get very uh, scarce. Mm. And we were in ration books. And I remember cycling round from my native place in Alcanian and County Limerick and then to hospital and from there to Brough and from there to Kamala could I see, could I get a few loaves of bread and I probably got one or two. What kind of drew you to working abroad or working as a missionary as opposed to staying in Ireland? I was in Thurles for about five or six years that time. I, I was professed at the end of that, that means. Then I was sent to be qualified as a teacher. And I was sent to Kenya in Africa uh, for, I was there for eight years. And there was terrible heat in Africa. But I'm the kind of person, I don't like the cold and I love the heat, so I was lucky. <laughs> I'd never, the heat, up. and I remember one day, I was out gardening. I like gardening. By nature, I like gardening. And uh, one of my boss women came down and she said, for God's sake, would you get in out of that to kill yourself? But I said, if you want to punish me, send me in, because I was loving it. (laughs) I loved the warm weather. It never bothered me working, gardening. I love gardening. It was terrible poverty. In Africa at that time. Now that's 30 years ago, I'd say maybe 40 years ago, I'm 30 years retired. And, but I loved the work there, I loved the teaching, I loved the kids. Mm. I was very lucky. So, you are you spending your Christmas here in Beaumont? I am, yes, I am. That's my third, I think, here. Yeah, I'm here three years now. And I like it very much. As normally, I think, in a place you'd say, well, it's grand except. I have no except. Brilliant. I love it. Everything about it. And I settled then from the first day I came in. But then I suppose I've been in America and Kenya and yeah. all over the place. You're, you're, you're used to settling in. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, yeah. And I, 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 I've never found it difficult any place I was sent. I settled down there. So who do I have with me? Mary O'Sullivan. I'm from Dingle. From Dingle originally. And how long have you been? From Brosna originally oh. and then Dingle. Okay. And how long have you been in Cork? Three months. What? I have a sister here and I have a note down the road and I have a daughter working in Cork and a son. Oh, very good. So are they going to come to Christmas or are you going over to theirs? I'm going over to Blarney for two days. Excellent. I suppose, what's like? do you have a first memory of Christmas or when you think back at Christmas, what's, as a kid, like what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, I suppose my mother getting ready and busy and then Santa coming. Yeah. And that time we didn't get a lot. Mm. 
and uh, then things improved later on and we had the ran the ran in Deagle but we also had it in Brussels before oh, I went yeah, of course, so yeah. we had the ran coming all since Stephen's Day yeah. and we'd be let out for an hour to collect our pennies we had the turkey mm. and ham and the stuffing and trifle. Trifle. And uh, we all, we didn't like the plum pudding. We all wanted trifle. Oh, really? <clears throat> no, my favourite was a doll, like all girls' eskimos. Yeah. I got. I'm sure the doll was 20 years old. It came from somewhere else, but we were mad. We were all mad about our dolls. Yeah. And the boys had the cars. <laughs> and what was the what was it about this one that made it so special that it reminds me? Reminds she had a, a rag doll. Okay. She'd go whatever you where you put her. Yeah. <laughs> See, great fun with that, I'd say. Yeah. Is this your first Christmas not at your own home? It is. Yeah. The first right. Christmas I didn't cook a Christmas dinner for, for I suppose, nearly 60 years. Yeah. That's going to be a bit strange, isn't it? Mm. You're going to miss it? Well, I'll be out and my daughter yeah. and my son can do it. Yeah. And they're well able. So you don't miss the cooking, do you? No. <laughs> and would you have had people over in the house beforehand? Two or na- two, three neighbours and uh, they'd have a drink and then we used to go back to them on St Stephen's Day. Mm. We had lovely thing yesterday from Beaumont School oh, yes, with yes. the kids. With the, They were beautiful. Yeah. They were real lively and everything. And what do you make of Christmases now, generally? Like, when you look at the kids coming down from Beaumont National School and you kind of think about what Christmas means to them yeah. compared to what Christmas meant to you. It's kind of interesting, isn't it, seeing how it, it, it's, it's changed? Way, I think ours, ours was more interesting because it was such a big time for mm. us and we weren't used to all the fuss and everything. Mm. And we really loved it. Mm. It was, like, really special. And the same with, like, even the food. I mean, now should they have, they have Christmas dinners all the year and yeah. good dinners and everything. Yeah. And do you think that it's gotten a bit too... Too commercial. Yeah. Too commercial, yet yeah. Because even, like, on, on telly now, you see, it's, it's, like, even from, like, Halloween's hardly finished and you're already into yeah. Yeah. Christmas ads. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really gone commercial. And then it's just over when it's like Valentine's Day or something. Yes. It's all commercial from one end of the year to the other. Oh, it's a lovely visit. We pick a different nursing home every Christmas. Thank you, Kevin Galvin. And this year, it was Beaumont Nursing Home. And I want to say thanks to all of the residents and staff for being so kind uh, and so cooperative. And Kevin was down there chatting. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. That's Maria Sullivan at the end there. I couldn't help but thinking, just listening to Sister Bernard and Michael Dunn was amazing because Sister Bernard's parents, check this out, Sister Bernard's parents and Michael Dunn's parents were both, both raised, reared themselves in the late 1800s and here we are in 2023 it's three different centuries lads I think it's an amazing thing that's lovely stuff thank you happy Christmas to you all residents and staff at Beaumont Nursing Home the number one talk show in Cork if it's happening in Cork Neil is talking about it the Neil Prendeville show on Red FM text the Neil Prendeville show now 086 8104 Red FM. Season's greetings to all. Well, if yesterday was busy at Cork Airport, I can tell you that today and this morning is a heck of a lot busier. But without fail, Colin O'Sullivan is there reporting for duty. He joins me by my phone from the foyer at the airport. Morning! Uh, quite chaotic here, Neil, but a uh, great atmosphere here at Cork Airport. So we've got the we have the Glasheen Girls National School Choir. We're here earlier singing songs. Now we've got my old primary schooler actually on at the moment there. Uh, 
Skull Nave Yosef's St. Joseph's in Glanmire all the gang there are singing the Christmas carols and the last half an hour has just been chaotic because uh, the Heathrow flight and the Amsterdam flight landed at the same time and there was people here with Australian flags and American flags welcoming family home from all over the world and we were chatting there just Stephen who's home from Darwin in Australia and we had the tears and we were chatting to some other people home from London and various places a little while ago so I mean there's a great atmosphere there's uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here RT are here filming today as well and Santa Claus is here Neil hey the man himself Sonic (laughs) Sonic Kinsey Black Pudding are here with the stall handing out some free samples as well so it's a great atmosphere and the whole gang of Cork Airport uh, all the marketing team have done a great job it's decorated beautifully and uh, everyone in good spirits as, as I said to you yesterday there's a lot of tears but there are a lot of happy tears so it's all good you might, you might, do you recognise any of your teachers from back in the day in school no? I'm trying to see uh, I don't to be honest no um, I, I, say a lot of the, I say a lot of them are retired at this stage to be honest but, uh, alright well go and check in I, with Santa Claus see if you're on the naughty list I, I imagine will. I imagine you're not you're just I, I, an all round good guy I'm probably Somewhere in between, I'd imagine. I don't. I think enough something for me. Are they spinning your Red FM wheel there as well? They are with the wheel there as well, and we're giving out lots of prizes for the guys here. So there's prizes for the Victorian Quarter, some people winning 100 euro vouchers for the Victorian Quarter. That's all with thanks to Cork City Council as well. So people are getting some goodies, people are arriving back. As I said, they're getting the Clonakilty back pudding, Santa Claus is greeting them, the choirs are here. And uh, lots of families, and there's the banners and the signs and the flags and everything today. So it's a good afternoon. Right, man. Well, you gather as much audio as you can for me, and I'll play it tomorrow, and I'm very much obliged to you. Thanks, Colm. Have a good one at Cork Airport. Cheers, Neil. Good luck. All the best. Meanwhile, last bit of business, courtesy of ourselves and McCarthy's Family Butchers, Hawks Road in Bishopstown. We have vouchers all week long for turkey breasts, hams, and spiced beef. So each one of these vouchers is a turkey breast, half a ham, and a spiced beef. And they're doing all sorts of great affordable packages uh, for Christmas time. Go in and check them out, whether it's the whole turkey or the boned and rolled or whatever you'd like yourself, and the spiced beef. So phone lines are open for that 0818 104 106. I'm also giving them away on my own Instagram page. Y'all have a great day. We'll pick up the conversation in the morning. Happy Christmas to all. It's turning midday now as we head back to the newsroom. We get the latest with Lana O'Connor.